Shot Podcast on CBS Sports with me, Ryan Campbell, and it is back with a bang. Pro Wrestling Edition coming your way just the way you like it. I am sick of sports entertainment. Aren't we all, Joey Styles? Of course, this podcast is back to break things down, backed, jacked, and underwritten by that one and only performance enhancing audio, the Brian Campbell. The voice that you hear, the name who's on the marquee. Back to inform you, back to challenge you, back to pop you. I heard you laugh. I heard you get off on it, brother. We got another loaded show. Looking ahead to all things WWE stomping grounds. Getting you fired the heck up for the release of the G1 Climax pairings, the blocks from NJPW this summer. Guys, we're in a good place here as wrestling fans, all right? We're going to break that down. Raw and SmackDown did not mail it in this week. Your boy BC ready to get you excited. So what I need you to do on the back end, if you will, is get us excited with a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Napster, wherever you are hearing me right now, I need you to pause the show, spread it back, spread the love, five-star review season is upon us. All right, folks, I mentioned a loaded show, let me bring in my tag team partner. Say hello to the bad guy. He fashions himself a baby face. But we all know deep inside the dark, dark heart of the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, that was a guttural intro from you. It almost made you sound like you're not 40 40 years old and completely washed. Wow, wow. This guy, this guy, Silver King. Yes. All right. Hey, Silver King, we're doing a uh, bonus this week again. (laughs) No response to that, by the way. Well, come on. I have yet to begun my training camp for hashtag Campbell Wise Survive or Die, the boxing sparring match of the century. If you listen to our state of combat MMA and boxing shows, you know what I'm talking about. But my washed arse will be in that gym pretty soon. Pretty okay, soon, well, all right? that'll be great. But, you know, yeah, uh, again, BC bearing the lead in the intro. In addition to talking NJPWG1 Climax, all the great things WWE and AEW, this is our WWE Stomping Grounds preview show. And, Woo-hoo! yeah, I don't know who's necessarily overly excited for this pay-per-view, but just like we did for Money in the Bank, BC and the Silver King will be on YouTube with a special WWE Stomping Grounds preview we'll make some picks we'll probably crap on wwe a bunch it'll be fun you'll also hear that same segment later in this show but hey hit us up on youtube check out the cbs sports channel we'll of course tweet the link give us some love on that other medium where you get to actually see our faces you get to see us face to face yeah typically when we come to you there's nothing face to face nothing face to face nothing face to face nothing face to face you got it it's that's how I mean, I got it because that's how men do. We're bringing it face to face. We're putting our mugs on the line to break all things down stomping grounds for you. Wow. How about that name, Adam? You into that name? You into that name stomping grounds? I mean, it ain't great balls of fire. I don't know if I'm feeling it. It's almost like they found success with that and then said, hey, let's do something else along those lines, but not nearly as good in any way. I mean, 
they're along those lines with like the tagline, which is kick ass and take names, which is very generic. It's very attitude era. I kind of like it. It's kind of attitude era too, but I don't know where they're going with this. It looks like a lugs logo. Uh, the, this, the boot. Um, I mean, look, we'll talk about it later in the show. We'll go through it. But basically what they did was they took backlash. They moved it because of blood money in the sand. And they're still giving us a backlash type of card that I do think has a chance to over-deliver. I really do. Well, but yeah, it's when, still when you, you under-deliver for weeks and then you kind of put the train back on the tracks, yes, you're well, setting yourself up to over-deliver. But let's not give them too much credit here, right? Come what on. I'm saying is the matches on the card have the ability to deliver from a wrestling standpoint. There are good wrestling matches. The two main events, if you want to call them the men's matches, can be very good wrestling matches. Um, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, Look, at least we're not as depressed as we were a week ago. Exactly. Hey, it's better than Great Balls of Fire. Touche. Or Touche, or, or is it? Or is it? Hey, it's, uh, not, the it's w- not better. That was great. That got over, that, and I don't know why they didn't bring it back. Well, it by the way, sense. that was a great pay-per-view. It was a great yeah. pay-per-view name, and that was the last stretch. I'm talking like June 2018 through the fall. That that no was that that was 2017, wasn't that? wasn't Wasn't Great Balls of Fire 2017? No, I thought I thought it was last year before SummerSlam. No, I think it. I think it was 2017. I'm you sure, keep talking. I'm gonna. Look I'm it sure up. we can use the internet to look this up. What I'm saying is that stretch from Great Balls of Fire through SummerSlam through that September pay per view when it was John Cena versus Roman Reigns and the Big Dog stretch. I think that was the last great stretch of WWE nope. booking and programming. Great meaning like consistently week to week they had us fired up. It was 2017, the main event. Brock Lesnar Samoa Joe. Oh, that yeah. seven minute match. Dude, that, that build. Was absolutely fire. And that build was great. But as we know, Adam, the WWE calendar never stops. Won't stop, can't stop. Always coming at us. And do you know what's great about the NFL, Adam? Do you know? What? what? It also what never stops. And neither does the Pick Six NFL podcast on CBS Sports. And right now, folks. It's the perfect time for NFL offseason rankings. And on Wednesday and Thursday, Brady Quinn joins our team to break down Pete Prisco's top 100 NFL players on the CBS Sports Pick 6 NFL podcast, which includes a surprise at the top. So here's the deal, folks. Download this two-part podcast with Brady Quinn and Pete Prisco anywhere you find podcasts. Tell them BC sent you. All righty then. You got anything else to to clean? You got a house to clean? You got anything you want to sell? What's going on here, Adam? Who are they going to tell? That's 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 uh that's up to them. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to figure out who they're going to tell. Jump in the five star review. Them. Tell them BC sent you. Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's, you know, that's fine. With tell me. them Large Marge sent you. Whatever you wherever <laughs> you're going with that. All right. Absolutely. BC. No, nothing else from the Silver King here. I think that means it's time for us to go into that little thing. We like to call the main event. This is the main event. And yes, we will talk WWE. We will talk AEW. But folks, you know what time of year it is. It's G1 Climax season. We have G1 Climax 29. They just announced the blocks. They just announced the schedules. We're not going to go through every single name, BC. But let me break down some of these star names in the A block and the B block. Get your take. On if you're excited more for one than the other. If you think Why don't you just read every name, Adam? We, can, we got the time here, okay? We got the damn time, okay? 
Sure, I'll go ahead and read the name Lance Archer because that means a lot to well, a lot of people. There's 20 names uh, here. It's not going to take us all year. Sure, no. Right? Yeah, Lance Archer needs to be read. Uh, the A block includes Okada, Saber, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Evil, Sonata, Fale, Archer, Osprey, and Kenta. And then you have the B block, which is Naito, Ishii, Juice Robinson, Yano, Goto, White, Cobb, Tagak. Shingo, Tsugaki. brother. Shingo, come on. Yeah, I don't know how to say his name for some reason. Taichi and John Moxley. I don't know how to say that name. That's weird. Um, those are the blocks. That's how they're they're uh, they've been laid out. There is no Suzuki. We have Moxley in the same block as Yano. Uh, not in the same block as Kenta, but Kenta is in the same block as Osprey. Break this down for me. What's getting you super excited about this? Um, everything. Everything about this is getting me super excited about it. I won't hit you with the siren and the engine revving because I want to save that. For, for for giant moments, but um, I'm feeling the siren on the inside. We talked about it, Adam. The G1, we were supposed to take this year off. We were supposed to focus on the build toward AEW All Out, on WWE maybe getting their act together this summer and making us care. And the G1 is back, baby. And when you look at these blocks, dude, I'm fired up. This is loaded. I know we don't get Suzuki in here. I know, yes, they always have to sprinkle in a jobber or two. Look, you got to have – who's the who's the normal jobber that we hate that's not in it this year? That, that Who's that? Uh, the Asian felt. You know what I'm talking about here. Yoshi. Yo, Yoshihashi. Oh, Yoshihashi. You, you okay. need a Yoshihashi in there to take the L's. And believe me, we got a couple of those. We got Lance Archer. I, I hate myself some Tai Chi. I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that guy with his Liberace thing going on. But look, you got people to take the L's. But even more importantly, Adam – you have the potential for some hot fire. Yes, the A block has a little more loaded from the standpoint of of high level workers, but a little this, more. This Jeez. B block fires me up just the same. When you think of how creative the matchups will be, when you've got somebody like Jeff Cobb making his G one debut, and you know the physicality he brings, you got Ishii, you got Mox. Naito to be the worker to offset them, Juice Robinson to be the worker to offset them, Shingo. You got Toriano doing comedy. I'm fired the hell up. They nailed it. I think they hit a home run on the pairings. And yes, the A block is going to be where the finer steak is cooked. I mean, Adam, can you imagine? Can you imagine that the A block has Ibushi, Hideo Itami, Kazuchika Okada, and Will Ospreay? Oh, and if you don't like that, sprinkle in Ace, Sonata, Sabre Jr., we're getting steak. We're getting it every morning at about 3 a.m., and your boy BC's going to have a long summer. Well, don't, don't insult our fine Japanese fans. This is Kenta, not Hideo Itami, as he will be the first one to let you know. I don't think there's any comparison between the blocks. I know you're excited for Moxley. Good for you. Jeff Cobb is good, but he's not getting the Silver King's engine going. The A block is effing insane man well it's yes nuts. yes but you have proven in the fast when it comes to revving up your engine that sometimes you can't hear jimmy silver king you said you said it yourself will osprey doesn't do it for you no he doesn't but the fact that he doesn't do it for me yet that block is still blowing me away and and just because he doesn't do it for me doesn't mean i don't want to see osprey and okada i know I but that, that calls match. your love of life and pro wrestling into question we could put you on trial for that how the hell does that guy not he do, it do it for me. you do silver it. king this ain't do personal this is real this is wrestling how the hell does will osprey not move your innards bro yeah he, does, he does. listen it's not a hate it's not a it's not a lack of respect it's just 
there's wrestlers I like and like watching, and he's really not one of them. It's, it's, it's again, it's not insulting. That, that block is so sick. Honestly, if I'm counting down, like, who I really want to see in that block, it's Okada, it's Tanahashi, it's Ibushi, Evil, Sonata, and Kenta. That's my list. You would rather really see care. Evil? I don't really care about Saber either, honestly. Zach you would Sabre rather Jr. see doesn't, doesn't Evil do than Osprey and Saber? Who? I'm sorry? You would rather see Evil. Who's who's the, who's a muscle in this block? The same. I got to be honest. I want to see Evil Sonata head to head badly. All right, I really look, do. They, 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 you got to give them credit. They offer a little bit of everything. Yes, is the A block give you more sexy worker versus worker? Yes, but I thought they balanced it out well. Because look, you need the the muscle of the Gotos of the Ishis. Like you need that. But they got workers on the B side too, and they have personalities on the B side when you consider Mox. Jay White, Toriano, I'm fired up. I am I'm fired just, the I'm hell just up. saying, Brian, think about this, right? You have Moxley in this tournament, right? And you obviously don't want him to take too many losses. So that, that's one good reason why he's in that particular block. But if John Moxley is going to have a limited run in NJPW, or at least if he's only going to do one G1 ever, let's say, because he's going to be full-time AEW, yes, I'm getting Naito. Yes, I'm getting Ishii. Juice. We've already seen it. And we're going to see it again because he's probably going to win the title back at some point. What I want to see is really Moxley, Suzuki. We're not going to get that. That's okay. But I want to see Moxley, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Osprey, Kenta. Like, those are really the matches I want. Those are the big matches I want to see. And we're not getting any of them. And by the way, Brian, they go ahead and bring Moxley in. They make him the U.S. champion on day one. And then the story comes out, according to uh, Dave Meltzer, Wrestling Observer Radio, I believe it was. AEW isn't letting him compete in the United States. For them. So he's under contract to NJPW. He is the U.S. champion. He can't defend that title in the United States. And he can't wrestle at the opening G1 show in Dallas, Texas, in the United States. By far the biggest American star they have in their brand right now. What do you think of that? Kentucky Long Rifle. What is that, an email? It is, John Cena. You're going to this early, and that's fine. Our good buddy Black Saber Jr., who, if we can put a fifth face on that Mount Rushmore wall, Adam, should, on that should have been the fourth. On that mountain, you could probably carve this man out. Met him in New York. Love this fella. He says, I think we can all agree that there are valid business reasons behind AEW not allowing Mox, Dean Ambrose, whatever you want to call him, to work the G one in Dallas. Is it a little bit of a hedge given their change the world mantra? Also is this a sign that a working relationship with NJPW is a bit farther off than we hope? So, yes, Adam, yes, Black Sabre Jr., this is, uh, you know, you want to criticize it? That It's worthy. This is not uh, ideal, what we thought. But I think you can understand from a business practice why this is happening, why AEW is trying to protect them being the new fresh, pretty thing in the U.S. that's going to attempt to compete with WWE and sort of drawing this line. I understand it. Is it ideal? No. I don't think it's a train wreck. Would, would it have been nice to have Dean Ambrose in, in the first day of the G1 in Dallas? Yes. You put the U.S. title on a guy who can't compete the U.S.? Is that a little sloppy? Yes. But I think it shows you a couple things. It shows you that AEW is his bread and butter right now. It's, it's where he's going to Gonna get, gonna have his preferred dates and get his giant push. As it should be. Him yeah. doing this G one is a gift to us as fans. I, d- I'm fully with NJPW. By the way, putting that title on him and making, you know, getting the buzz that they got from that moment. Yes, you can have him drop it in Japan in some form. And it's not a big deal. But 
to Black Sabre Jr.'s deeper question, yeah, AEW and NJPW are not going to be best friends and brothers. And I think it's disappointing in a sense because there's AEW has the potential to be great and they do a lot of things great. But again, a big part of my revolution heart is that basis and foundation of that stake that NJPW provides. So it's it's tough that they're not going to be perfect brothers. And this does, I think, Adam, slow down the idea of any form of NJPW North American takeover, any form that they had these grand plans. They they took a little too long. They 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 stalled a little bit too much. Now I think if you're NJPW, you kind of go back to just being that really awesome niche thing and you make your money in Japan and the times that you can get in o- in Omega uh, uh Dean Ambrose to come over for a big event, you take advantage of that. But yes, there's a there's a line drawn in the sand. It's not perfect. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish the storylines could go over to Japan and come back to AEW. But this seems a fairly potent moment here where it's like, okay, this is where it stops right here. So two things can be true simultaneously. One, this is incredibly hypocritical of AEW. And two, I would do the exact same thing if I was AEW. There is no way I would let John Moxley compete in the United States for another organization, especially NJPW. Now, they are letting him right now compete in Northeast Wrestling and some of these indies. So what is really the difference there, right? Well, those aren't on TV. And they're not making money and pay-per-views and subscriptions. They are competing, AEW is, competing directly with NJPW. They're not competing with Northeast Wrestling. They're not competing with CZW. It's just different. So, again, hypocritical on their point, on their part. They want to talk about changing the world, freedom for talent, all this really... Great, high and mighty stuff, but then when an opportunity presents itself, they're the first ones to I come mean, back. And just yeah. like Vince would say, although Vince would never let anyone ever work anywhere else at all, uh, but just like he would say if he did, no effing way you're wrestling in the United States under a different banner. And the timing at him is tough. Like as much as you know, these guys want to change the world. I mean, the all out is is. I mean, look, the the last pay per view, Double or Nothing, was the launch of the AEW brand in a lot of ways, but the all out show is going to be right before the weekly TV show comes out. So in a lot of ways, that's the real sort of in-your-face launch. And to have the G1 right before it and to know that we could be building toward Wrestle Kingdom and stuff, yeah, I, I get it. It's tough, though. It, it's tough I as mean, a fan. listen, the, fa- the fact that Moxley's even doing this when they're about to debut, yes, right? And they want to use him. And look, Ambrose, Moxley, Jonathan Good. he was known as the road warrior in WWE. He worked more dates than anyone Outside of this past injury he had, he was healthy forever. He doesn't really get hurt. But the G1 is still the G1. It's a lot of wrestling in a very short period of time. And you're talking high-quality matches, not house show, go have fun, and pop the crowd matches, right? So the fact that he's even doing it, like you said, is a gift to us. At the same time, what sense does it make that NJPW has United States champion who can't yeah, wrestle in, in the United they're States. They're going to have him have to drop it in some form. Especially, And by the way, especially when they're making their debut. They're debuting the G1, the first night of the G1, yes. in freaking Dallas, not Tokyo. So if you're Dallas. asking me if that's a fail, yes. But it's, it's, a fail. Uh, it's a fail that it's obvious wasn't planned. They didn't know. They were getting Moxley most likely when they booked that Dallas. But let's talk about what you said earlier about, look, you'd prefer if beggars can't be choosers. That you were guaranteed in this G1 if we're only getting Moxley for a short time right now in NJPW that he was wrestling all those workers. I agree with you. But I do like that it 
doesn't just give you everything gratuitously. Like, there's still things to build towards. We don't know if Mox is going to have... Like, we don't know what the future brings. Is he like Kenny Omega? We know he can work both. We know he's going to be working mostly AEW. But could both of these guys, could Moxley and Omega, show up at Wrestle Kingdom? And if you're telling me we can stretch it out, and the first time we will see Moxley against Okada could be, you know, at a giant NJPW pay-per-view down the road, I'd rather have that then rush a quick 15-minute match right now. So I don't hate that, and I certainly like the matchups in the B block that we're going to get for Mox. Dude, him and Yano is a must-see for me. <laughs> him and a lot of these guys, him and Jay White, not going to be the highest work rate match, but personalities-wise, character-wise, I'm very interested. Same thing with Naito. Dude, Naito, Dean Ambrose is like a, oh my God, where like destination. But here's the question I really want you to answer, Adam, about John Mox in this B block. If you're NJPW and you have this short window to really capitalize and get a lot of people to care about your product before the launch, the full launch of AEW, are you ambitious enough to send Mox to the G1 Climax Championship, knowing you're going to get a lot more eyes if your final is insert name from the A block versus Dean Ambrose? Yeah, I mean, if you really look at that group, there's four guys. It's Moxley, Naito, White, and Ishii, maybe, Juice, maybe. maybe. Three maybe guys then. So maybe you have three guys who can legitimately win that block. And he's one of them. There's no question. I wanted to just correct a couple things. One, we don't know how long his contract with NJPW is. It may legitimately just be until AEW starts. We don't know. Two, Omega has no contract with NJPW. The only ones who do are D, uh, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, and Chris Jericho. So Omega, zero plans for NJPW as of right no, now. No, no. Yeah, but it does. he doesn't have um, an official blockage that can't – like the last thing I read was that – Correct. He, uh, we, we assume that to be the case. Right. Like, he could, like if they do a big angle ahead of Wrestle Kingdom, he could do it. I think theoretically he could sign with them, but he has not signed with them. Okay. And by the way, what you just said real quick before I give you the floor on the B block – in reality, I don't think like Ishii could go over to the final in an in-between year because he's a great foil for whoever you want to put over him. But right now, I think it's either Naito or Mox, and that's, that's it. Or, or Jay White. Just did or Jay White. Do, but they just pushed Jay White. I mean, he won the damn championship. And I think while it did well to get out the best qualities of Jay White, I think they had to have learned that he's not a gigantic draw. I mean, like... They, no, but he's main event caliber where he can be in that match and put over Okada or Abushi. I mean, I think Abushi's going to win. Straight so, up, I'll so just tell are, you that. Are right we now. doing Abushi Moxley in this in this climax final? Because that would be fire. I, I think we do Abushi White. No, Maybe that's a bad idea. Let, let's I just talk. think it's what I just think that's what they're going to do. What is there any? Would Mox allow them to to let him win the block and then lose the the climax championship? It's not his call. He doesn't book. Right, but when you're sitting down to, to to work this out, knowing that you're about to debut in AEW as their biggest star. I mean, in well, their first show, you de- delivered an Austin-like pop to come in and beat up Kenny Omega. So what I'm saying is you will be going into All Out against Kenny Omega as their biggest star. Right, right? Like as their, their hottest thing at the moment uh, so is it the hottest he's the hottest jericho's the biggest yeah true but but look everyone's going to be talking about him yes. going into all yes. out not jericho because we're used to it so my point is this yeah i know 
he doesn't have the booking call. It's not like he has Hogan level, you know, say in this contract. But at the same time, would he want to put himself in that spot where he could take a high level loss? Would AEW well, want I, that? Well, I don't think there's any embarrassment losing to Kota Ibushi or Okada or Tanahashi. These are greats. These are all time greats at their profession. So he's going to lose. He's not going to go through the B block undefeated. So he's going to take a loss. He might lose to Yano. I mean, that's a way to give him a loss where it's less like, oh, yeah, he got rolled up. You know what I mean? Or, or something like that happens. So he's going to lose. He's probably going to lose two or three times, I would think. Um, at some point, maybe one of them is in the finals. But, yeah, I mean, he ha- listen, you can't have guys. This is the problem with Roman Reigns and WWE. You can't have guys who never lose. It's, it doesn't make sense. No one is undefeated for right, their entire career. Right, but the career. timing, Adam, think of the timing when you're going into All Out as the biggest uh, badass. I mean, dude, he got an Austin pop. Don't wave your hand. He got an Austin pop at Double Nothing. I'm not waving nothing. my hand at that. He's I'm going, against, hand at that. He's going not, against Omega. Like, timing-wise, I get what you're saying. I want guys to be able to take losses. I want wins and losses to matter. So timing-wise, it would be a bad time to take an L. Even in a 60-minute, like, amazing match, I'm just saying it might not be the best time. So, asterisk, wild card, bell going off in my head, in a perfect world where we can all win, all organizations, all fans, tell me if this ain't perfect, Adam. Mox wins the damn G1. He takes that rub and goes into AEW. He's your biggest star of the moment, and then he comes back at Wrestle Kingdom in the main event. Against whoever is your champion. No. We can all win. January. Wrestle Kingdom's in January. Right. We can all win. We can all win. We don't know that he's going to be there in January. I'm saying the perfect case I'm telling you, I really think, look, I don't think it's a one-off necessarily, but I don't think Moxley is, like, I think he's going to do the G1. He'll lose the title, like, in August, September, and then he'll start with AEW. I think that's how it's For the record, this was the same Adam who said, Jericho would be one and done in the revolution, right? And this is the same Brian Campbell who agreed with me. Did not agree with you, by the way. You, and you agreed, hey, yeah, he's probably only going to do one event in NJPW, and he'll come back to WWE. And, and I'm just putting out the track record of, of where you we're agreed. at here. So you agreed. Uh, for fans, to, for, and for both organizations, that's what I really want to know. I really want to know the temperature between Harold Meiji, or whoever's the guy running NJPW now, and Tony Khan and Cody and the Bucks. I would love to know the real temperature. Is it like... Because everybody could work together, Adam, without, like, having Mox win the G1 and get that rub going into AEW, knowing he'll come back for WK13, everyone wins. Yeah, but they're not working together. Right, meaning we're not, but... They're not doing each other, they're not here to do each other favors right now. I think that's not really doing everybody favors, though. I think that's one of those things where it's... What could be what the you're best... talking about is is very much that. It's the it could be where everyone wins. It's the difference between one company doing a favor for another. By him winning the G one, everybody would win. Yeah, I understand the concept, but there's no proof, there's no information that he is long for NJPW or that he's even going to be there in January. So, AEW starting. They're not gonna start in October, their TV show, and then three months later have their top star in the main event of the G of the of Wrestle Kingdom. Like, I, I I don't see why that would happen if they're not working together. If they were working together, that would make all the sense in the world. I think the only but way it would not. happen is if D, is if John Moxley puts forward a, a – if he acts like a star. If he goes into the meeting and is like, look, guys, I'm, I'm full-time with AEW here. I'm, you know, but at the same time, I'm a star. I want to be allowed to do the two biggest NJPW events of the year, 
And by the way, they're not on American TV. You've got to go to a website to stream them. So that that's the scenario I'm concocting. I'm not well, saying well, it's going to no, happen. I'm not predicting not, that's it. That's not true, though. That's th- What you're saying isn't accurate, though. They are on American TV. They put them on AXS. Okay. They're not Re- live, replay, but they do but go yeah. on American okay. TV. Oh, that's fine. And, and also, I'm not talking about him not being in Wrestle Kingdom at all. I'm talking about the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I don't think there's a, really a scenario where that happens with Moxley. It could. Maybe they've reached an agreement that we don't know about. But he is the U.S. champion right now. That is not their top-tier title. That's fourth. I mean, it's their lowest-tier singles title almost, right? So they're not pushing this guy as, like, top of the division. They have him working with a young lion and feuding with Juice Robinson right now. So let's not act like he's – maybe it changes, but maybe there's a reason he's in this block. Maybe he's in this block to put Naito over, to put Jay White over. That seems more likely to me than that they're putting him in this block – so he goes undefeated, wins, goes to Wrestle Kingdom, and now he's the biggest star in AEW and he's the biggest star in NJPW when they're not working together. By the way, I didn't predict that. I'm saying that's the ideal optimistic scenario where everyone can win and you're not doing a job for the other company. Everyone just wins. Everyone takes advantage. Everyone wins. But it would be dependent upon Dean having star-level abilities in his contracts to be like, Here's what I want to do. So we'll see. We'll see if uh, if they change the world. If 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 AEW Club is for everyone, we'll see what's going on here. Um, if it's not, if you're not going the direction we just nailed, I don't think it's insane to have Osprey win this whole damn thing. Ooh, I don't yeah. think it's insane. I don't think it's insane to have him go against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom and find out, like when you took Kenny Omega, who was one of the up and coming promising juniors. And made him a heavyweight, and he became the biggest star in the world, not commercially, but, but critically as a wrestler, became the biggest in-ring star in the world. And, by the way, I think will one day retire as the greatest in-ring performer of all time. It might be time to roll that dice with Osprey. You got him under contract. He he appeals to an American audience. Put him in there against Okada at you, Wrestle Kingdom for the big belt. You know who else you have under contract? Kota Abushi. So I have Okada beating Ibushi during the regular A block because they're going to face each other. Ibushi beating whoever from the B block, winning the G1, facing Okada, main event, Wrestle Kingdom, whatever number it is, 14, 15. That's how I book it. Now, that, that, that could work under traditional Gato-style booking. But what if you're NJPW, Adam, and you say, look, we lost the momentum of North American crossover with AEW's launch, but we still want to compete. So, Will Ospreay, an Englishman who yeah, speaks say, English American. and appeals to a North American audience, we're still competing by taking a young fellow, and look, I get it, his body's not young, but a young fellow who we don't know his ceiling as a star. Like, seriously, I'm going to say it again. We may have another Kenny Omega here. I'm not saying he's as good, but we may have another situation where a guy just takes off as a heavyweight, just becomes everything. It would not be a bad idea. Like, I get pushing Abushi would be great, pushing Kenta is going to be great, but that's only going to appeal to a niche audience. Will Ospreay, I think, has the potential to appeal to all audiences, to appeal to WWE fans, to appeal to people who have said, okay, in, in this revolution, I'm more AEW than I'm anything else. Oh, crap. I got to watch NJPW now. They put the belt on Osprey. Good Lord, he's doing eight-star matches every single time. He might be the next Omega. 
God, I can't agree. I mean, I can't agree with any of what you right, just said. Right, because you don't hear the Jimmy no, of Osprey, and I don't that, get it. I don't think that he's he, – he, just because he speaks English or just because he's Caucasian, I don't think he appeals more to American audiences than Abushi, who know Abushi well. Are you kidding so me, Adam? Part- Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Abushi doesn't speak English. I get that he's the second so best what? wrestler in the world. And by the way, Abushi is. And if you don't Brian, think that. Brian, they blew the, hey, we're going to appeal to the American audience already. Right, that but didn't I just create. Freaking sailed. But didn't I just create a, hey, what if Harold Mage hasn't taken that opinion? We're taking that opinion no, for he's them. British. He's British. No one cares about him. Just like people don't really care about Tyson Fury, man. No one cares. They're not American. What? They're not North American. Wait, wait, wait. What's this Tyson Fury take you have? I'm just saying they're trying to make Tyson Fury appeal to an American audience by having him dress like Apollo Creed and wave the flag and all this crap. Americans don't care about Tyson Fury because well, of that. They will because if you put him on regular ESPN and not ESPN+. Do you think people Plus. care more about Tyson Fury than Anthony Joshua all of a sudden? Yes. <laughs> no. They don't. Um, Adam, do you know how to get casual fans back interested in a sport that – they haven't watched because it's hard to watch boxing. They don't make it financially easy. The best don't fight the best. Take a guy like Tyson Fury, who's 6'9", and can talk. Put him on ESPN and shove him down your throat. It so, pisses, so people, it pisses me boxing, off as a hardcore like American fan. boxing fans care more about Tyson Fury today than they do Anthony Joshua. A, a thousand percent. You think they'd want to see Fury Wilder more than they would Joshua Wilder? Yes. First of all, Joshua just got knocked out. So that yeah, certainly know, but... helps this discussion a lot. But second of all, yes. Fury fought a tomato can. I mean, come on. Yes, but Fury is from the idea of marketing and crossover potential of any boxer in the world right now, including Canelo. I think Fury has the largest ceiling from the idea of making him worldwide known and getting people to care about him. He's a six foot nine heavyweight who can talk trash and, and has this story. Like I, I know and he's going to get knocked the hell out as soon as he fights Wilder. I mean, really? Didn't he already fight Wilder and beat him? Yet got screwed. So he's going to get. I knocked. disagree with that. He's going to get disagree. knocked. What do you disagree with? I didn't think he got screwed. You thought Wilder beat Fury in December. I thought the draw was fine. I thought the draw was fine. This is coming from someone, by the way, who thinks Triple G has gotten screwed in back-to-back fights. And he did. You're going to tell me, like, you're going to tell me that you scored four to five rounds? Close to a draw. No, no, I think it was like, I mean, look, Fury probably won the fight by a round or two, but a draw was fine with me. I, I didn't think he got screwed. But you only get one point for a knockdown. And right, that was a ten eight that was a ten eight round. Right. So there were two ten eight rounds and you'd have to you'd have to really I'm saying be what biased. I'm saying is it doesn't like the draw didn't bother me. Like with the first triple G Canelo, I thought Triple G clearly beat him, but the draw was okay with me because it was it, it was, you know, close enough. The second one I thought Triple G easily beat him and then they had Canelo win. I was offended by that. I wasn't offended by Wilder Fury. Okay. You you did get it backwards though. The first one you should have Did been I get offended. backwards? Oh, you okay, you okay. should have been offended the first one. The second one, you can't be offended by a close Canelo win because Triple G didn't put his foot on the gas pedal and Canelo right. walked him down. I flipped it. I flipped it. Yeah, That's you're fine. Right. That's fine. You're right. I'm not here to fight you, Adam, but I am here to let you know that if Harold Mage, Meiji, Majai, the Messiah, I don't know what we're calling him, if he actually cares about still being a North American thing despite AEW, then putting the rocket pack on Will Ospreay is a much smarter marketing idea than Ibushi or Atami. I mean, they had it on Omega, and what did that really do? They had it on Jay White, and yes, Jay White is nowhere near, 
I know. What did it's it no really way. do? It launched AEW by by making Kenny Omega yeah. a giant star. It launched AEW, not New Japan. Right, but I'm saying, what did it do? It made us care about New Japan. Putting... No, Omega, Omega made us care about New Japan, not him having the title. We cared more about New Japan when he was chasing than when he was actually champion. You know that's true. Okay, but you're not necessarily making Osprey a champion by having him win the G1. So putting him on the title level. Oh, you're talking, but you're no, no, no. You're talking about putting the. You said okay, putting the okay. belt on him, quote unquote. You have that choice in that moment, but I guess you could uh, just putting him in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom against Okada would be a giant deal, just the same. I, I am not offended by him being in the match. I would be offended with him winning the title and thinking that that does something for NJPW. I don't think it does. Okay, it's an interesting debate, but I think I don't we... buy into I don't buy into that New Japan needs to put their titles on white guys or Caucasian guys or Americans or even British guys to appeal to our audience. They okay. appeal to our audience by good wrestling. And, and I you know all... who the and you know who the best wrestlers are. I know you like Osprey, not for me, but the best wrestlers there are Okada and Ibushi. Now, right I will now. I will say that our argument holds up, Adam, if you're talking about somebody like a Jay White or even somebody like a Juice Robinson. If you're like, look, just because they're Americans understand who they are better. But look, I think Osprey is next, next level to that. I think Osprey is in the potential Omega category. That's why I think the argument's a little bit different. I want I want this summer, Adam. I want my goal for you this summer as a human. As a member, as a working, active, contributing member of the human race, to get Will Ospreay. I get what him. What the hell's going a, on here, Adam? I, I get him. I don't really like it. Simple as that, man. Oh, man. I've seen plenty of Will Ospreay matches, like plenty now, dozens. It's not really my deal. I think Abushi is far better. Yeah, Bushi's the second best wrestler in the world, but I'm yeah. not convinced that Osprey isn't the third. By the way, I'm okay, serious. Fine. I think in NJPW alone, there's three better than him. The other being Naito. That's fair. That's very fair. That's At a minimum. Fair. Can we have a weird discussion real quick on Okada? Yeah. He's a top five wrestler in the world, but when he's wrestling Kenny Omega, he's number one or two. When he's not wrestling Kenny Omega, though. He's obviously still great. I enjoyed the crap out of that Jericho main event they just had. What about the Tanahashi match? But do we somewhat overrate Okada because he's the perfect dance partner for Kenny Omega? Meaning, and when I say overrate, I basically mean the difference between being the second best wrestler in the world and being the sixth. Do you know what I'm saying here? What's the best match of Bret Hart's career? Uh, Steve Austin or... That answers your question. Same thing. Like they're perfect, they were perfect foils, and they made the perfect match. Brett, otherwise, outside of Steve Austin, was a technically great wrestler, but you wouldn't necessarily consider him the best ever on his own. There was a time when I thought Okada was far better than Omega, but it was because I saw him through the prism of the Omega matches. He kept winning, and Omega kept putting him over, making him look like a star. Great point. So I, I feel yeah. it the same way with with a Bret Hart in that. I'm not saying look, Okada is light years better than Bret Hart, okay? Not saying, I'm not trying to compare them as wrestlers, but what I am saying is I, I find those matchups to be similar in terms of that just worked, even Bret and Sean, that worked so well that it made both of them better by comparison. And when you take Omega away from Okada, I'm sorry, yes, yeah. when you take Omega away from Okada as well, I don't really like Omega as much. I think he's still probably the oh, best wrestler in the world, but there's something about Okada that allows those matches to be six seven stars whereas omega tanahashi 
was a five star match because that's what it's going to be. Omega's the best wrestler of all time. <sighs> he's the best. He's the best active wrestler right now. He's the best wrestler ever. I love me some Kenny. In ring, in ring performance. Oh, uh, by yeah. the way, my favorite Bret Hart match is Roddy Piper from uh, WrestleMania. Uh, that was a great. Indianapolis. That was a great that's seven. Um, great. Okay. I mean, okay. Fine. Yes. Similar in terms of the style of the foil for him. All right. Brett did not bang Sonny. We do know that. Do you have but any... do you, wait, do you agree with that, though, in terms of Piper and Austin? For Brett, similar types of opponents that allowed him to shine. I'll give you that. And I know the Bret Hart fans, because we're on the Sean side of the line, are probably calling up Stack Guy Greg right now and starting. I was going to say, I was going to say, are there any besides him? Really? Yeah, there are. There's uh, our good friend Arun Singh of, uh, of Boom Studios. Loves him. Loves isn't him. He, isn't he Bret Canadian, Hart. though? He is Canadian. That so is that, a fair I mean, wow, that is a fair point. Hey, hey, CrossFit Moses, Arun Singh, take that, brother. Okay, go enjoy the Raptors championship. Brett still screwed Brett. Yes, of course he did. All right, BC, we have a lot of show left to get to. We still have that stomping grounds preview, which again you can listen to on this show and check out on YouTube, CBS Sports on YouTube. But BC, before we get to all of that, we have a couple quick words from our friends and sponsors. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, BC, we are back. And before we get to stomping rounds, we do have some, let's call them news and notes to talk about from WWE, AEW. We'll, we'll talk about the Federation first. And we're going to talk about, you know, the actual developments on Raw and SmackDown later in our preview. But is it just me or did this week of television feel completely different than the stuff that have been sho- that's been shoveled into our faces the last four to six weeks? It, to me, felt like WWE turned a corner and it might have been just a go-home week for a pay-per-view, but it felt different. It felt like someone else was writing yeah, wrong. It, I think that's ultimately the point. And, and look, I know Meltzer's probably got his ear to the ground and he's texting every backstage wrestler and that's fine. You could read him, whatever. I like to sort of make an original thought from what I feel and see. And what I feel and see is exactly what you said. It, it was a different set of people approving. I feel like what went on the air. Because, look, I, it's hard. I felt so uh, – Raw entertained me. I know a lot of people loved it more than I did. It entertained me. SmackDown, however, I really liked. And I had to, like, stop afterwards and look at it from a more of a macro view and be like – Okay, I'm overrating the crap out of this because of how bad the recent content was. Because the <laughs> exactly. recent content made me want to, wanna, you know. And it makes me violently ill to my stomach. So I know that I'm overrating the crap out of it. But, like, for them to just care about little things again, it was like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it used to be. You're actually p- putting forth a go-home show that you're, like, crossing the eyes. And, and dotting the T's. You're, you're making me actually <laughs> care. So, yes. Um, so it makes me wonder, Adam, because Saudi is all that's very much a Vince deal. That's very much a Vince idea. That's very Absolutely. much Vince. If Vince just 
grabbed the Saudi creative by the ball bag and ruined our lives. And now that that's over, does Vince take a step back and be like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, you guys can kind of take it from here to stomping grounds. Nobody really cares about this pay-per-view. And him taking a step back, does that allow us to go back to our regularly scheduled booking style, which is, by the way, not great, not everything we think it could be, but for a payback last show like stomping grounds, it, it, it allowed me to care. I feel like I want to watch this pay-per-view now where Monday morning I was like, Adam, I don't want to do a preview for this show. I don't want to watch this show. I don't want your life. It's true. I literally said to Brian, you know, a little fourth wall breaking. I'm like, we, yes, Brian, it's a WWE pay-per-view. We have to cover it. No matter how we felt last week, we have to do our jobs here. And it was pulling teeth with you a little bit. And you're like, look, unless they deliver a great week of TV, I don't really know how I'm going to feel about this. And we were talking about when we do our preview later, maybe just crapping on WWE for 30 minutes, right? Because we felt they deserved it. But I don't know that this wasn't Vince. It still may have been. But what it does go to show, and it's something that we can't forget. We can't keep forgetting this. And I did say it, I think it was last week. When they start booking for these Saudi blood money in the sand shows, it drastically affects their product it delays storylines it forces things into our picture goldberg undertaker things that they were building specific matches for that show that otherwise wouldn't be part of their storyline arcs so it takes things like the women's tag team championship the men's both of them tag team championships the mid cards on both shows it takes them off of tv because they have to spend so much time doing other stuff and then you have the shane mcmahon stuff which that going on both shows was taking up a lot of time as well. So we had about a month of TV where it was just the same people and the same crap, and the wildcard rule significantly hurt things as well. And what they somehow managed to do in this five hours of television was exactly what you said, except I'll say it correctly, dot the I's and cross the T's on a bunch of storylines that we just felt were going to be open-ended. The Dolph Ziggler storyline, they wrapped that up. They gave us Really good reasoning for Bailey and Alexa Bliss. I mean, the Roman Reigns stuff. Like, did you hear how Roman Reigns got cheered in LA on Monday night? It was incredible. So and even me, Shane me, McMahon let me pause and the you. revival carrying them over, it made sense. Let me pause you and ask you whether it's deeper than the things we just said. Was there was this the beginning of an intervention? Was this the beginning of look, Vince, it's not working. Our ratings suck. AEW's coming. Everyone hates this right now. We need to try my ideas. My name is Paul Levesque. I stay up at night complaining to your daughter about you. (laughs) We need to change this. Now, I can't have this happen anymore. I can't find my button on the soundboard. Anyway, you get my point, Adam. You can always tell when Brian's stalling for the soundboard. It's the funniest thing. Uh I don't know, though. I I don't want to give credit to Paul if it wasn't. Like, if this was Vince, right? If this was Vince doing exactly like he always does, then it just goes to show what I kind of said about the the blood and money and the sand stuff and about the inconsistency. And you've said it also previously. You The point that you made was Vince, when he really tries, when he knows he needs to try, still has it. But on a week-to-week basis, he feels like he can get away with things. And... I think what we've seen the last few weeks building up to Blood Money in the Sand 3 was WWE just thinking because they're rest WWE, they don't really have the competition head-to-head right now. They can just get away with putting out storylines and 
it'll go on and everyone will, everything will be okay. But the truth is it won't be. And if you deliver us storylines like you did Monday and Tuesday, I actually care about stomping grounds. I want to see how some of these storylines develop and pay off. I'm uh, actually legitimately curious. Yeah, I like to believe Paul just finally, you know, balled up and got in Vince's office and was like, That makes me sick in my stomach. Every time I look at you guys, it makes me sick. To think what you did to me, holding me back. Yes, I am the patriarch of NXT. I know where wrestling's going. Adam, I hope on a full macro level, when we look at the business 10, 20 years from now, that we will look at 2019 as not just the, you know, the, 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 the heartbeat of the third boom period, but the end, the RIP of sports entertainment. Because because WWE won the war, because they were able to rewrite history and all that, we think that pro wrestling kind of died in either the late 80s or the 90s, depending on where you want to really frame that, and that the business evolved into sports entertainment. You know, the famous, play the famous clip from Vince of, from that documentary in the late 90s of saying, we don't make wrestling, we make movies. I like to believe on a macro level that we will look back at 2019 as the time that sports entertainment died, that the sports entertainment era ended because everything's cyclical and what was old became new again and people realized that the reason why you care about this absurd art form of men in their underwear is because of the feels it brings you and sports entertainment doesn't produce feels. Sports entertainment gets rich TV deals and sells T-shirts. Pro wrestling brings you back brother it wakes up the lapsed fans from the dead it makes you care on a shakespearean level nick costos about this absurdity of men hiding razor blades in the tape on their wrist and <laughs> bloodbathing for our pleasure sports entertainment is dying adam it's happening because we never saw it coming, but somehow, someway, the product outside the walls of WWE became better than what was going on inside of it. And that's how a revolution started. And history will show that Paul was always on the right side of it, even though he lived in the Death Star. That's why he's the Darth Vader, the Anakin oh, Skywalker God. of this revolution, because they're still good in his heart. And one day... He will come back around to us. Yeah. I'm just letting that marinate for everyone. Wow. Uh, oh, a a, a NXT is. For this. Yes. Go ahead, Adam. A NXT is in WWE. B sports entertainment isn't going anywhere. So sports entertainment will die this no. calendar. I mean, year. look, it'd be great. It would be great, but it's not going to. Uh, other things to touch on from WWE this week that we're not going to talk about later. Was it kind of cool to see the club back together on Raw? Uh, of course. Was it great to take a, a, a group of people who actually know how to entertain and do things Absolutely. and actually do it? What do the fans want? They want Gallows and Anderson with AJ Styles or with Finn Balor to give you them old Bullet Club feels. So stop soft bagging us and grab the, the, the sack by the horns and give it to us. Yeah, it felt great. It was awesome. I, I, I kind of wish they followed up with the loss by going back to AJ kind of. Like giving them like a oh guys what the hell was that out there you know but they did do that on social media so they did tie it up but I, I did wish that they followed up because it was a really it was a fun segment backstage with them in the doctor's coats hearkening back to their really corny storyline with the Usos it's effort. and then them t it's and, and AJ by 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 demoralizing them a little bit have, forcing them to take it off 
almost shredding that crappy WWE storyline skin that they had and being of being losers. And then you can't have them go out and beat the Usos. Wow. You have to have the Usos win that. You just described the, so- the shedding of the sports entertainment cocoon and coming forth and being a butterfly again and flying in the pro wrestling. And by the way, here's why that's genius and why it's really the same thing of that really cool SmackDown backstage segment between Ember Moon and Absolution eating donuts, yes. and then they brawled. Look, in reality, what is that? It's nothing, but you know what it really is? It's taking a mid-card level feud, and you're right, the the abomination of this wild card rule has ruined the mid card, and it's saying, look, we don't have time for this on TV right now, but we're still going to tell a story week to week in ninety seconds and get you to care about it. In reality, they didn't have anything for the Good Brothers, but hey, you're going to lose a match to put somebody else over. Yet they yep. quickly concocted a story around it to get us to. Ca- I mean, look, that's attention to detail. That's actually saying there's more going on than Shane McMahon and Roman Reigns on them on our product. And even having on Raw Naomi backstage with Natalia, when Alexa Bliss and Nick, you're talking about all the bad things Bailey's done, and all the faces would be on Bailey's side because they obviously would be. But then them showing them the phone and having them look in and be like, wait, maybe Bailey is a bad person. It it adds just these little elements and details that WWE hasn't given us for such a long time. Even the and we'll talk about this later, but the rain stuff with the revival coming in dressed nicely with their titles, all those guys eating lobster and drinking champagne. And Heath Slater, why did Heath Slater need to be there? Because it worked, because it, it showed a couple things. It showed that the Revival were hungry. They, they scooped up that money. And it also showed that Drew McIntyre, you thought, oh, you know, maybe he's going to have this soft side. No, this guy is a total badass. And it says, you know what? If he does beat Reigns on Sunday, which he won't, but if he does, this guy has an edge to him. Like, this guy is a take-no-prisoners badass. And he's even going to turn on his old friends. So it's all those little things that no. they don't normally give us. It worked so damn well. And it's not um, perfect, by the way, because, look, you can be cynical and you'd be right to be like, so Heath Slater's going to come in and complain that he doesn't have money to feed his family. Yet in an earlier segment where it's Styles telling Gallows and Anderson, I know you've made a lot of money. I know you guys are doing well, but you're not taking it serious. So it's like, how does one guy not? Well, because Heath Slater's Heath Slater. I mean, and he lives in a trailer park, which should be a, a more cost-effective environment. Anyway, whatever. You would think so. All right. But uh, anyway, um, other things to talk about. Firefly Funhouse, man. Like, Yeah, let's touch that. Um, can you hit the – like, I know we're saving sirens. Can you hit that damn siren for me, man? Um, because um, holy effing I don't know if I can do that. but Because um, you can't find it, of course. But No, I know where it is. But, but um, it's really, really good. And this week, Adam, straight up, was really, really scary and evil. Like it's yeah. it's like to the point like our good buddy Jack Crosby at CBS Sports was like, I wonder if they're getting, you know, parents writing in and being like, uh, where are we going with this? Because this and that's uh, the kind of edginess that you want, you know, what Vince still has it when he allows Dean Ambrose to DDT Seth Rollins the same night their partner has cancer. Like it's the edginess that makes pro wrestling pro wrestling. So while I don't know where we're going with Bray, it's. It's so ambitious and it's perfect. And that ending sequence with the 80 style car radio dial and showing you the different facets of Bray. I mean, Adam, it's 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 a different kind of stake than these, five, you know, seven star in ring matches. But it's the very best of what WWE has WWE has created with sports entertainment. And it's like the very best distillation of that to you. It's amazing. It's. It's remarkable. 
Um, the fact that they could do that many of them and they're, they keep layering on top of each other and they gave us this payoff. It, it, the payoff to me says he's debuting Monday or Tuesday. I mean, I, I don't know where else you go with him um, beyond what that last episode was. But, you know, you mentioned the parents thing. It's airing in the third hour of Raw and usually after 930 on SmackDown. So it's towards the later end where most of the youngest kids would be asleep or not watching or if they're watching it later, parents can DVR it. So I don't really have concerns about that. But it's just I rarely is it with WWE where they present something to us and we don't we, we, we may not know where everything's going, but we think we do. I don't know where this is going. I don't know who he debuts against. I don't know what brand it's on. I don't know if he's coming to the ring as himself, looking a little bit different with those clown pants, or if he is going to be the fiend in the ring, if the fiend is going to be like the demon. I, I don't know. And that's the greatness of it, because we love Bray Wyatt. And when he lost to Randy Orton at WrestleMania, when they had those worms in the ring, we were just so dejected, because they finally had built this guy up to be a WWE champion. We interviewed him that day. You and Nick spoke to him and he, uh, you know, the day before, and he, he was great. He was saying all the right things. He seemed to be in the right place to be a main eventer in WWE. And they just ruined him. And all of a sudden, you have this guy who had time away and had the ability, the creative freedom, to build this new persona, this new character, and to do something like that you said is different than anything else. Even the broken universe. This is different than anything else I've ever seen in professional wrestling. And it's happening on the WWE main roster. Yeah, it's a reminder of of how great he is, that he's an all-time great. He hasn't been given all-time great booking, but this is a reminder that Bray Wyatt has the potential to be an all-time great. And his style of greatness, it, it really does work best in a Vince McMahon-run WWE. Like, I could sit here and make an argument that had, you know, if Bray had jumped ship to an AEW, that he could be among the most valuable free agents available given this creative side to him. But it just works so much better in WWE, even with 2019 Vince's issues, that it's great that they're doing this. There's an argument certainly to be made, by the way, Adam, that any form of entering the ring and going away from this funhouse is going to water down this product. Like the best way to keep the momentum going might be to see him wrestle as the fiend, have a new moveset, and just straight up squash people all the way into a giant feud. Like, but I mean, destroy people. Yeah. And he, I don't even know that he needs to be the fiend to do that, but he needs to not, he can start with a jobber in the first week. But other than that, he needs to fight like low card and mid card talents and destroy them. You're right. And then have a feud and win the feud. And it can't be and, a feud against Bobby Lashley on the mid level. I think you have to have him destroy people Goldberg style and get into an instant top shelf thing. And uh, there's there's so much potential right now. No, he does need to be, you're right. He does eventually, I wouldn't mind it being for a mid card title necessarily. Like if Ricochet does beat Samoa Joe and, and you have Bray kind of just completely demoralize Ricochet, just like, you know, something like that. I'm okay with that. Or even if he beats the hell out of Finn Balor and wins the intercontinental championship. And then Balor eventually two, three months later needs the demon to come back to actually beat the fiend like that. That's something that's interesting to me. Right. Um, but you're right. He can't just come in and be a mid Carter. Like and you have to have a plan that at the end of that plan, he is in the main event against a champion of quality of a Seth Rollins, a Kofi Kingston. Um, and is that heel and wins. He needs to win. He needs to be love, a heel who wins. I would love like, look, the change in the verbiage this week to the follow the leader stuff I thought was great and it was darker and it was brilliant. And that speech he gave was fantastic. 
I'd almost love if if Firefly Funhouse is something that isn't just stuck to Raw and SmackDown, that he could show up at 205 Live, he could show up at, at NXT. And the point I'm saying that is I wish he can build an army of people right. who aren't like next to him every time he's on TV, but an army of people who he has seduced to the dark side that when he chooses to snap his fingers or whatever the thing is to follow the leader, that they show up and they're part of this cult that, that, that is like, there's really some potent dark potential here. That would force WWE to create a faction and, but not even a faction, like a, but it would an be an army, of. an army of people that be can great. go that Festus level can almost go at the snap of a finger from normal <laughs> to like psychotic. I'm ready to eat your flesh. I don't know. There's ways that this Festus is gonna... level. Yeah, thank That's you. Festus funny. was a good brother, as Gallows told us on this show. Yeah, by the way, remember he, he told us Festus was. got cut. Festus did well with the ladies. Festus was... apparently he did as well. That's also he did tell us that uh, yes. live in uh, was it New Orleans or yeah, I think it was New Orleans. A um, couple other quick notes, and we'll go through these very quickly. Uh, the Canellises, Mike and Maria, who we discussed last week and got some interesting feedback, Silver King did, on that, um, re-signed for five years with WWE, both of them, Hero or Zero. Oh, massive, massive here. I, I, you you can come up with a different, a few different theories. One, that they used the launch of AEW and them being very friendly indie people with all the people that run AEW as a way to leverage WWE saying, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to stop our people from leaking out. You're, we're stopping it right here. We can still use you guys. We're resigning you. And if they got a better deal and got paid and could feed their family even better, then that's great. But it seemed almost a little bit too good to be true the last few weeks when they're still complaining on Twitter, yet getting a push on 205, and Drake Maverick is mentioning their tweets on 205. So it seemed to start to get a little... But in the end, I was very happy for them because I, I really like them, and I think they have... M- some pretty good potential to do something cool. I will say that Maria is a great businesswoman. That's my comment. Um, Renee Young, according to Meltzer, is the leading candidate to host the new WWE show on FS1. Wow. Hero for me. I assume you agree with that. Yeah, that's really smart. By the way, it's a way. It's a great way to show that she's not going anywhere despite her marriage. Uh, we all know what 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 Mox wants. Dean Ambrose looks like he wants a piece of this pie. I think a lot of us listening could understand that mindset as well by the way thank you very much no seriously that's a bad joke all bad jokes aside she's fantastic in a studio role i never loved her as a play or as an analyst let's stop that experiment she's perfect to present the storylines and uh i think still i said it before i'll say it again that show tuesday night fs1 that studio show that hour-long show has the potential to be something really special provided fox and wwe Come together and be like, let's not insult our audience. Let's yep. let's talk. Let's make it. Let's make it talking smack. Yes. Why wouldn't you? Or, or even you have SmackDown on Fox branded alongside it. Call it talking smack. Put Renee as the host. That show was great for WWE fans. Loved it. If you put that on TV, people will watch it. The only thing about that, no, I, I see. I'm going to slightly disagree. So, Talking Smack's brilliant. We need it back. But the reason why Talking Smack worked, Adam, is because it was a kayfabe show in which, because there was no written rules, wrestlers were able to kind of get themselves over and say edgy stuff. But it's still kayfabe. Right. I need that studio show to be anti-kayfabe. I need it to be fourth uh... wall removal. And I, what I need is ex wrestlers and experts. Act, doing what we do right here. I need it, even though it's a WWE produced, it's a Fox produced product, but WWE obviously is like 
part of this. Um, I need it to to be the kind of showcase where they can have an open dialogue about current storylines. Like, you're not going to sit there and trash WWE, but you should have one person saying, look, I get what, what they're doing creatively with this, but maybe it would be better like this. And then you have somebody else go, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, like, have an honest debate. Give us a little bit of fourth wall removal features on wrestlers in their real life. Have interviews on. I think it could be everything at once, meaning like so wh- a podcast. Why don't, why don't we do, why don't we do uh, uh, Renee Young, Booker T, Brian Campbell, the Silver King? Solved, right? Yeah, in some way, in some ways, it's solved here. Uh, in some <laughs> ways, um, but ultimately, I it's tough. I, I I hope because you can make it a destination thing that really sells the product and it allows you to you know promote other things on there. But you got to have an honest dialogue, I think, with the fans on the air. Do you remember bringing it to the table on the network with Peter Rosenberg, Corey Graves, yeah, and Paul Heyman? I, I didn't love. I didn't love that. I'm not saying it has to be exactly like that, but there were elements of that. What, what was that show in reality? It was like PTI. You get it was supposed to be PTI, yeah. But it, even though it was in the grounds of WWE, they still talked about some edgy stuff. They would talk about does Sasha have backstage heat? They would talk about these certain things, and they allowed things to kind of. I, I would like to see more of that style than a magazine show for WWE or a kayfabe machine or anything that makes us go, "What a waste of our time." Let me flip over to TNT and watch. A, yeah, you know, a, if AEW I, chooses Tuesday night, which by the way we don't know, they may choose Wednesday. They're still that's still up in the air. Yeah, I, I would be really curious to see what they do with it. Honestly, I, if you had the being serious, I was joking obviously earlier, but if you did have like Renee Young, Edge, and a, a you know a woman wrestler, a, a former women's wrestler, that's a pretty good show. You know, you want you want former, you don't want basically Renee Young and two Fox analysts. Right? You know, that's not what you want. You want ex-professional wrestlers, ex-WWE wrestlers who can talk. You want a Mark Henry on that show. He is amazing on Busted Open Radio. You want someone like that, two people like that, where you can legitimately talk about the business without fully breaking kayfabe, but doing enough that you get both the casual fans and the diehard smarks to want to watch it. Now, you need one outsider, though, in my point of view. You need one dynamic talker who's not employed by WWE and isn't a ex hall of fame wrestler who could potentially and is willing to give you that other side. Well, what I'm trying to think like, what does UFC do for its broadcast? Right. They always have a Cormier or someone in they have his all role. fighters, all fighters. And it's very pro UFC, but since there's fights and you don't know the outcomes, you're still getting sort of like debates about who's going to win. It's just a different animal because it's not scripted, but still right. it's very pro UFC. You're not going to have um, negative conversations on there about the UFC's decision-making. Right. I, I just right. think in, in, I think that if in a perfect case scenario, WWE would say, look, not everybody, the, the best, there's a world out there to debate WWE. That's why there's so many podcasts. That's why there's, you know, quote unquote, barbershop conversations about the product. Let's have those conversations on air here. Let's, you know, like, but, but in a smart, safe, educated way. Look, as long as it's not like Colin Cowherd or Skip Bayless, I'm okay. That's all I, <laughs> is anyone else is fine with me. It works. Um, I know you didn't watch 205 Live, just real quick. For anyone who hasn't, watch this week's 205 Live just in your spare time at some point. They did a completely new set of camera angles. They had like a middle camera. It was very cinematic. It did not look anything like a regular WWE Raw or SmackDown production. Very interesting. The show was 
really nothing at all. Uh, but the camera angles, it, it made me curious as to whether they're trying something new that was a pilot run, potentially, for SmackDown on Fox. I'd be very curious about that. All right, we talked WWE, BC, AEW news and notes. All out, tickets went on sale. They were only on sale for 15 minutes. Sold out. Fight for the Fallen and Fighter Fest still both have plenty of tickets on sale. But All Out, that's a big sellout. Again, it's the one-year anniversary of All In, obviously. Does that really speak anything to you? Are you really surprised by that? No, and it's certainly impressive. So let's get that out of the way. It's very impressive. You sold out in 15 minutes. But you're also obviously aiming for an intense – Chicago is an intense pro wrestling fan area – and it's the you know the anniversary of the first show one year later the the all in to now it's all out it's great um i'm interested to know what they really have here and i think the only way to do that is to do something ambitious and in a way if you think about it Vince McMahon came up with WrestleMania he did WrestleMania 1 leveraged his financial future leveraged his family's future won out what did he do the next year had that in hindsight, not smart, but he pulled it off move of three sites in one night for WrestleMania <laughs> 2. He goes, how yeah. do you top that? He picked a damn dome, and they got not 93,173, but they seem to have gotten a sellout with 80-something thousand people in the Pontiac Silverdome, brother, when Slammy Boss, you know, what happened next. So I kind of want to see if AEW for the next big one has the balls to go, you know what? We done the midsize arenas. We done it in fifteen minutes. What if we step up to the next level and we get a stadium, a dome? We yeah. do something. You know, it, it, will it sell out in three days? I mean, that'd still be pretty damn impressive. You know what I mean? Like, is there that many people that actually care, or is this still the same group of traveling fifteen thousand people who love indie wrestling and are in Chicago and love it? It's. In, it's I, I would like to find that out, and I don't say that with any negative toward AEW because I'm impressed by this, but I'm so impressed. I want to see where it ends. I want to see the, the ceiling. That's a very sober Silver King take right there. I could not agree more. I think it was impressive, but at the same time, it was expected. I didn't expect anything different. It's a 10, 11,000 seat arena. They have that many fans right now. It's not the same people going to every show, of course, but so far all in um, double or nothing and all out have been destination shows, right? You had all in, which was this first ever one of a kind, unique thing made sense. You had double or nothing, which was the first ever AEW show makes sense. And now you have all out, which is the one year anniversary of all in. and, And they're obviously booking towards that is right before the launch of the company. If they're going to do monthly events, what are those going to look like? Because again, you know, Fire Firefest, which is a tiny show at a video game convention, it's in Daytona, but that's driving distance from a lot of major Florida cities. I, I live here, uh, not in Daytona, but I live in Florida. Um, there's not many seats in that thing and they're not sold out, right? You have Fight for the Fallen, which is not at Alltel Stadium or whatever the hell they call the Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium now, I forget. Um, it's at the arena or venue next to it. That's not sold out. So yes, those aren't pay-per-views, but they are AEW specials. They're almost the equivalent of television tapings is what I would call them. And they're not selling out. And again, I'm not hating on them. I'm just saying I'm very curious to see outside of that debut TNT show, or maybe outside of the first month, what is a December, mid-December AEW TV show going to look like? What is the February AEW quote-unquote pay-per-view, if they have one, going to look like. I'm curious, but I do agree with you completely. You're right. Uh, they, they've made August. The, between that, all well, in. Let me, let, me just say, let me just say this. this. That August date or the early September date, next year, 2020, stadium, Soldier Field. 
what I really want to know is, look, they made All In, All Out, and Double or Nothing feel like quasi-WrestleManias as, you know, anti-WrestleManias as, as, like you said, those destination events. What happens if they try to see the limit in a dome or what happens on the in-between pay-per-views, as you just mentioned? That's going to be very, very interesting to see where like, we're at. Like when they do a show in, like, like WWE has this show in Tacoma, Stomping Grounds. It's not selling great. It's in Tacoma. Now, I know that's close to Seattle, but it's still the northwest corner of the United States. There's only so much travel for that show, whereas you have the Royal Rumble in Dallas. A, it's going to sell out for people in Dallas, but that's a destination people will travel to. So what happens when they don't have shows in Las Vegas and Chicago? That's what I want to know. Well, and hopefully that TV weekly product. Really want to see what the what the temperature is on that show. What's the presentation? What's the feel? What's the taste? Is it funny? Is it great? You know. I, by the way, I did hear uh, Tony Khan on Steve Austin rebooted this podcast and came back after a long break. The Khan interview is not great, by the way. It's a little bit too much of them fanning, I agree. fanboying out of each other. But it was interesting to see Tony Khan mention, and uh, we've already sort of seen this leaked out that AEW is planning a tag team tournament this fall, and that it will essentially play out in a lot of ways on the weekly television product with play in matches to really make the matches feel important. And we know that they're going to push tag team wrestling to the forefront. So very excited about that. That's what we talk about. What do we want WWE to do when there's a vacant title or when there's a situation that they just want to fill six weeks of TV, give us a tournament, give us the King of the ring. I say it all the time. That's great. All right, Adam, enough of the ridiculous behind us. It's time to set the stage for stomping grounds this Saturday, Sunday, this Sunday on the WWE Network. And just a reminder, you can catch our entire stomping grounds free preview separately on video on YouTube. So go to the CBS Sports channel and check that out. Oh, yeah, it's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports. Your boy, the Brian Campbell and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And these boots were made for stomping this week in the WWE with the inaugural Stomping Grounds pay-per-view invading the state of Washington this Sunday on the WWE Network and Silver King. We are here to get people fired up for it. And I think the term fired up is interesting because entering this week of WWE programming wasn't too fired up. But for a go-home week, they may have gotten me. Yeah, these were combined maybe the five best weeks of WWE television and... Five best weeks, five best hours of WWE television, and I don't know how long, uh, months maybe. So we went from being completely cooled down, me almost having to pull teeth to get you to even do this show, to now somewhat excited to see what happens on Sunday night in Tacoma. You know, the, your boy BC, I love the fine steak. I love great pro wrestling. Maybe not necessarily sports entertainment, but... They set the stage nicely with the go-home on Raw and SmackDown this week. And as we enter Sunday's show, look, what you want to do in a go-home show is make people want to know what happens next. And this isn't necessarily the perfect pay-per-view. You labeled it yourself on our extended State of Combat Pro Wrestling episode this week, previewing all things wrestling, that this very much felt like a pay-backlash card in the sense that it's just two weeks after another experiment in Saudi Arabia. But even though we got a lot of rematches this Sunday, even though it may not be the most, let's say, I don't know, exciting build in terms of the matchups we're seeing, when you go back to the little details, when you do the attention to those tiny details and you make me care, I generally want to see what happens next. So I'm going to enter Sunday with a little bit of optimism. I think that's a completely fair stance to take. Optimistic is good because 
this match, this this card, I should say, has the ability to deliver. There are matches on there that are high quality matchups where you say, hey, if they book this correctly, this could be a very good show. The problem is we haven't seen much of that recently from WWE. Well, they got an opportunity to turn around what really has been tough to use the words historically or, or, or really go to that level. But obviously in the aftermath of WrestleMania this year, Ratings declining on Raw and SmackDown, creativity just declining, obviously going back to Saudi Arabia for another super showdown really wasn't the best thing to, to, to rev up fans and get us excited, but they can pull out of that ditch right here this week. And when you look at this card as a whole, Adam, what's the match that should be on the poster? What's the storyline? What's the one thing that is most at stake, that is most cliffhanging you, the fan, as you head into the show? That's actually the problem. Um, there's not a poster match for me. There's not a main event. That's the biggest issue with this entire card is that there are a bunch of co-main events and mid-level interesting matches, but there is not a singular match here where I say that is the clear main event of the show. It's the match I want to see the most, and I'm super curious to see what happens. In fact, this is like one of those shows where Roman Reigns would go in not as champion, but he'd be in the main event because he's Roman Reigns, and I guess I would probably say the Roman Reigns-Drew McIntyre match, despite that being such a disappointment uh, at WrestleMania, I think that maybe has the opportunity to steal the show here because even the two main men's title matches are just co-main events to me. Well, look, if we end up with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre in the main event, I think we have a problem here. I think we're going back into the well of negative WWE main roster tropes. And let me remind yep. you, it's 2019. We're in the third boom period, if you will, of this industry. The things going on outside WWE, the things going on inside WWE when we're talking about NXT have been better than Raw and SmackDown. It's time to raise up. So I think if there's one storyline, if there's one thing, I want to see what happens next, even though it has been bungled and mishandled to this point, is Brock Lesnar's briefcase situation with the money in the bank. I think that connects directly, Adam, with the big mystery, the big payoff which we are hopefully going to see in this Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, WWE champion, I'm sorry, universal championship match this weekend is who's going to be the special guest referee. Will it be Brock Lesnar? Will Brock Lesnar be cashing in and ultimately against which champion? So we mentioned WWE sort of pulling the creative out of the ditch, putting the train back on the track. If you can stay cliche heavy with me here, but I'll say this, I care about who Brock might cash in on and how he might show up on this card in Washington on Sunday, even though he's not scheduled to. And I think that's a credit this week on the go-home shows to implementing Paul Heyman strategically enough that we know this is in play, we know it should be in this play, in play, and I'm trying my best to forget the go-home show ahead of Saudi showdown when Brock Lesnar had a beaten down Seth Rollins in front of him and somehow chose not to cash in then. then. We do have a chance to kind of repair that and sort of close the show, not with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre, but hopefully closing the show with Brock Lesnar, whether it's a successful cash-in, whether it's a foiled attempt, whatever it is. Brock, argues, arguably right now, your most potent star. Let's use him on Sunday night. I think he should be there. I mean, Tacoma's close enough to Canada, so I don't think it's too big of a pain for him to get there. But then again, we're kind of in this new reality of WWE where they're trying to save their ratings, and it's like... You're really going to use Brock Lesnar at stomping grounds in mid-June? You're not going to save that for Extreme Rules, which 
would make sense if you have that money in the bank briefcase or SummerSlam or another major event that matters. You're going to bring them in at stomping ground. You know, I, I don't really see that happening necessarily, BC, but we are going to get... problem, though, Adam. If you stay with that mindset, and you're talking about SummerSlam or another big event, well, obviously, there's a big event Friday, October 4th, when WWE starts the new relationship with SmackDown moving from Tuesday to Friday nights, primetime, Fox, national television. What about Brock cashing in on Kofi? Yes, we've all thought of it. It's an interesting scenario. But how many more times can you tease Brock? Can you have Brock attempt to cash in and fail because of a bungling Paul Heyman like we saw in Saudi Arabia or any other concoction? Uh, that's going to get old quick. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, we've kind of given you an overall preview of this stomping ground show, BC. Are you ready to get into this card? Uh, hit me up. I, I may give you a few, give me four hot minutes and get out of here, but I'm going to be honest with you. Let's break this thing down. Let's do well, it. Well, that's how it should be. And we're probably going to start probably on the kickoff show. We don't know yet with that cruiserweight championship, Tony Nese defending against Drew Gulak and Akira Tozawa and BC. Look, 205 Live is better than people give it credit for being. But to me right now, they are in a lull. And despite all three of these guys being talented, I cannot remember a situation where I've really been less excited for a Cruiserweight Championship match. Yeah, they put the title on Tony Nese coming off of this Buddy Murphy era, which we all thought was going to send Buddy Murphy to the main roster. Then he got announced as a new SmackDown member. And the guy never appeared. Guys, wake up. Buddy Murphy is Kenny Omega Light. He's this WWE superstar waiting to happen. Let's get the guy on the screen. Separate to that, putting the belt on Tony Nese felt like an experiment. Felt like ultimately it was going to be transitional. I love me some Tony Nese. Fun worker. The abs gimmick is good. Doesn't seem to be a guy that can carry a show. Look, we know that Mike Kanellis and Maria just re-signed with WWE, and they've played a huge part storyline-wise on, on 205 Live lately. And by the way, that's a very well-booked show with Triple H at the helm. I'd like to see more of somebody in a star heel role like a Mike Bennett with the title than I would average worker guy. And I think ultimately for Tony Nese, even for Akira Tozawa, they're average worker guys. How I would book this, how I want to book this, is I want to see what we have with Drew Gulak. The times they've given him the ball in 205 Live and ran with it, he's done great. He made PowerPoint presentations a thing. He's done a cup of coffee on the main roster when the Cruiserweights used to be featured there. He was just on NXT wrestling Kushida. He could do a lot of things for you. No, he's not a not a flip artist, which is the calling card of 205 Live. But am I overselling, Adam, the character potential in Drew Gulak? Great Matt wrestler, gritty, Philadelphia style and background. And I think he's much better on the microphone than people realize. Oh, no, you're, you're 100% right. In fact, Drew Gulak is the only one of these three that I would want to see in a main event match, a 205 Live main event match, and have the title. So... I'm completely aligned with you. Drew Gulak is the one who needs to win this match. And if the reason it's a triple threat is so Akira Tozawa can take the pin and then they can have Drew Gulak, Tony Nese at a future 205 live show or at another pay-per-view, I'm totally fine with that. But it's really about time for him to get the title. We said this, Brian, a couple of years ago about Cedric Alexander. We're like, this is the best guy on your roster that you're not using. What did they do? They gave Cedric Alexander the title and he had a year-long run with it. So it's time for them to do the exact same thing with Drew Gulak. All right, next up, just announced the new day. We have Big E and Xavier Woods against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in a tag team match. No titles on the line, just a regular tag team match on a pay-per-view. And we really never get those anymore. It's very rare that something like this happens, but Big E just returned from injury. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn kind of came back right around that WrestleMania time. And you know what? I think they've built this suddenly and very quickly better than one would expect. 
I'll give WWE this credit. And I liked Monday night, but I really liked Tuesday night. And again, I got to put quotations around really like. And we broke this down in our extended State of Combat podcast, Pro Wrestling This Week. I'm creating WWE on the curve. And the curve is that the creative has not made any sense and the dots have not connected. So when you finally kind of start to put things together, I'm going to pop for it. I'm going to overvalue it. This week, Tuesday night, I popped for it because things mattered. They set themselves up normally to sort of convolute to steal a Silver King phrase by mixing together on Tuesday night many different storylines involving different teams, different singles people heading into Sunday's show. Yet I thought they somehow pulled it off. They got me excited about what Kofi and Dolph are doing. They got me excited about how Seth Rollins through the wild card rule played into that. And they got me excited ultimately about the New Day and KO and Sammy connection. I don't think there's a deep enough storyline here. I think they could put together a good match. But I kind of need a storyline reveal through the result of this match, Adam, to keep me interested on what this really is. How are you popping for this? Yeah, I mean, I'm popping because of Big E. I mean, you saw it there on those highlights. He's awesome, right? And getting him the opportunity to be in a match that doesn't have to revolve around Kofi and the WWE Championship or even the tag team titles, it's great to see. But ultimately, we've seen Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn since their return to the main roster um, from injuries, both of them, be losers consistently over and over again on TV, on pay-per-views. You know what it's time for? It's time for these guys to win a match. A new day is completely capable of taking a loss. So I think this is a really good opportunity to continue that storyline with Kevin Owens. And if this Ziggler feud with Kofi is going to end, which I don't necessarily think it will at stomping grounds, then it does put Kevin Owens in a position to maybe be that challenger again for Kofi. Now, Adam, look, uh, Kofi Kingston multiple times on our podcast has called me a wedge trying to break the new wedge day driver. Apart. The Wedge Driver, excuse me. No, I just like good storylines. And the implosion of the New Day is a storyline I've wanted for a long time. And again, not because they're not great together, because you can implode and then get back together. But I think it's a wrinkle that would sell. I think Kofi's recent star turn with WWE Championship adds to that. We all know Big E is sort of this star in waiting. My endgame, yes, is a triple threat match to main event a pay-per-view involving all three New Day members. So to appease my my liking of that, my, my care, my optimism as a fan, could we be headed there? And I don't want you to spoil your prediction for what happens in the Kofi-Dolph Ziggler match on this title feud here, but something Dolph Ziggler really put over entering their steel cage match on this card is Kofi, you're nothing without those New Day members by your side. And obviously, finally, in the steel cage, I'm going to be able to prove that to you. Anything, any feels, any teases that this KO and Sammy match and how it combines with the result of that Kofi and Dolph match could get me closer to an actual storyline within the New Day that wedges them apart. I would love to indulge you in that. I would. But no. (laughs) I mean... No, I, I don't see that happening. They've made it very clear that they're at peace in WWE with being a team, being grouped together. They don't want to feud against each other. They don't want to be split up. And you can make the argument that there's only so long that New Day can work. And it's already maybe exceeded expectations in terms of how long that team can be together. But I just don't see a scenario where they break them apart. All right. Hey, a boy, a boy can dream. All right. Let's keep it going here. I all like right. the heels to win as well, Adam. I think they should. Not so much at stake, but let's put a little more shine on them. Sure. Well, more SmackDown action, uh, more more tag team action on the SmackDown side. We'll see how many more of these I can bumble today. Uh, Daniel Bryan and Rowan, the champions, SmackDown Live tag team champions, defending against Heavy Machinery. And I think they've done a decent job building this, Bryan. But do you have really any expectation that the titles change hands here? 
No, it shouldn't. But I think this is a good opportunity to further build heavy machinery, put them on a platform to shine with what they do well, which is comedy. And I thought Daniel Bryan sitting in on commentary on Tuesday night on SmackDown really echoed it perfectly. He continued his recent rant that tag team division isn't serious. It could never main event WrestleMania like he wants it to because you have too many teams like Heavy Machinery who don't take training and finishing off their opponents serious. They're just comedy acts. His comparison to them, to the Bushwhackers, was fun and apropos, as was his hipster reference to the Sheep Herders, which, of course, was Luke and Butch's former tag team alias before joining WWE in the 80s. So I love everything surrounding that. You don't want to put the titles on heavy machinery, but to give them sort of a cup of coffee on the title level in an in-between pay-per-view, which Stomping Grounds actually is, it's perfect. It puts over Rowan and Bryan as a real tag team. And look, it's about Daniel Bryan right now. This heel run has been incredible, and the mic work of late is just genius. Please, we want it. We want in the, in the rise of AEW and John Moxley crossing over from Dean Ambrose and going on podcasts and ripping the current state of WWE, where we want less scripted. I don't know if Daniel Bryan's completely scripted. It feels like not, but I need more people cutting promos like Daniel Bryan consistently does. Absolutely. We've made the argument on State of Combat. By the way, you can subscribe on CBSSports.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do find podcasts. Um, We've made the argument that up until this point, Daniel Bryan might be having the best 2019 of any professional wrestler in the world right now. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on, BC. We have more matches to cover, though. The United States Championship is coming up between Samoa Joe, the champion, and Ricochet, who just won a fatal five-way match on Raw to get that number one contendership opportunity. I mean, I think this is going to be a fantastic match. I just really do wish there was some more build here because it looked like we were heading towards Samoa Joe Braun Strowman at one point and then Samoa Joe The Miz. And now neither of those is happening, and we have Ricochet in this match. He deserves to be there. He's over with the fans. But do you think he's going to win the title? Well, I think you nailed up front the uh, the sort of misdirection, the convolution, the what the heck are we doing? Who's feuding with who? Who's zooming who? Take another look and tell me, boy, who's zooming who? Thank you. Um, I think ultimately, <laughs> though, if this is going to be a feud in the ring, they have the potential for magic. The way that Ricochet's high-flying offsets Samoa Joe's physicality is incredible. So if you're actually going into a feud that can span multiple shows, You keep the title on Samoa Joe here. You have him cheat to win. You have a lot of things happen. And then you head to extreme rules. You have a match that involves weapons right there. And maybe then you put the title on Ricochet. I think they've presented Ricochet so well since they've called him up. They've made him look like a star from the beginning. If their goal is to put the U.S. championship on him through this feud, I think it's a smart one. I think you gamble on what you really have there. I just don't think you do it on Sunday night. Even though I just said that, Adam, (laughs) it would be disappointing. Knowing how Samoa Joe is, knowing how great he is, knowing how he's often the best heel in all of pro wrestling, let alone WWE, to see him constantly just win the title for a month and give it back to another babyface, maybe not the best use of him ultimately, but I'm not against giving Ricochet a chance to shine. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that Rey Mysterio injury is going to keep him out too long. So I think you keep the title on Samoa Joe and you build up to something at Extreme Rules or SummerSlam. We love Samoa Joe. He works without the title. We know this. But what have we been saying for the last year and a half? We want Samoa Joe to have a title. When he had that match against Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire back in, I think, you know, 2017, what did we say? You know, if Samoa Joe won, That would have been believable. It would have been awesome, right? So let's get him back to that spot. Unless they have a plan to put Samoa Joe in the main event as Seth Rollins' next challenger for the Universal Championship, then he should retain his title. Ricochet can absorb a loss, and you can move forward from there on. 
BC. You got a feel for Samoa Joe, though. Hold on a second. You got to feel, you know, yeah, when sure. you consider when he got called up to the main roster a couple years ago and then got left out of WrestleMania seemingly for no reason when he was initially Triple H's muscle and the suit. And since then, you know, we've said, this guy's a main eventer. Put him in there. And the only real main event push he got was that very regrettable feud with Roman Reigns in which it was known more for them getting booed out of the building there in Philadelphia that night than it was for good storytelling. Yes, I know he had that run with AJ, but even then, I don't feel like they capitalized fully on what it could have been. Give Samoa Joe his hour, right? Give him his close-up. Like, you gave him the tease, you give him a morsel, but why are we all knowing what he brings to the table and them just sort of using him as another guy? Well, he's not a typical WWE Vince McMahon guy. He's big, but he's not, you know, Lesnar. You know, he's not Reigns. But let's not forget, yeah, he did have the thing with Reigns. He did have the thing with AJ. I just mentioned he fought Lesnar, main event uh, of Great Balls of Fire. And he was in that fatal four-way that you loved, that you saw live at SummerSlam. So he has been featured. It's just that he hasn't won. We need this guy to win. So him losing to Ricochet here, for me, just really doesn't make much sense. Okay, BC, moving on. SmackDown Women's Championship. Bailey, who just won the title at Money in the Bank by beating Charlotte, who just beat Becky Lynch on that show, is now defending against Alexa Bliss from Raw. Doesn't make a lot of sense. We don't love, I know we've discussed it before, Alexa Bliss being from Raw, getting a SmackDown title opportunity when they have plenty of other women on SmackDown. But let's be honest. This has been a very well-built feud. We have... Uh, Nikki Cross involved on Alexa's side, Alexa befriending her. And I made this comment on Twitter. Let's see if you agree with me or disagree. The Bailey Alexa Bliss moment uh, from Monday night or from Tuesday night it was, Tuesday night, was the best women's segment we have seen on WWE TV, not involving Becky, Charlotte, or Ronda Rousey in the last 18 months. Agree or disagree with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really have to pull out my abacus and calendar and, <laughs> and figure out, you know, whether you're just being, uh, you know, whatever. I, I get what you're saying. It was great. It was really, really good. And I think overall, we got to come to terms with something here. Look, WWE's moving to Friday nights on SmackDown. The roster segregation, the brand split, it's over. They're not telling us it's over. They've implemented the stupid wild card rule. There's no real rules to the wild card rule. I think we all woke up and realized that every Monday and Tuesday night, you're getting Seth Rollins, you're getting Shane McMahon, you're getting Daniel Bryan, you're getting Kofi Kingston, you're getting all of them. Yes, to quote you correctly, it has ruined the middle card, the mid card to certain degrees, but it's the, the old way's over. So we can get over the idea of somebody on Raw fighting for the SmackDown. It's not a thing anymore. It's the wild, wild west. I wish they would just be a little bit more open in saying that. But with that said, this has been handled brilliantly. Alexa Bliss, as a character, hit an absolute home run on Tuesday night when you consider the goal of that segment entering into her title bot with Bailey how she manipulated and used Nikki Cross again as a friend who she's just using to sort of distract and get in the way, and it allowed her to beat down Bailey. But the gold in that, obviously, was the back and forth between Bailey and Alexa Bliss because ultimately they were saying some very real things. For Alexa Bliss to point back and say, look, Bailey, you're just jealous because you peaked in NXT and I've had the main roster run that you would have dreamed of was in a lot of ways what we're all thinking. It was perfect. And to have Bailey come back and reference, hey, Alexa, you're using Nikki the same way you used Mickey James and Nia Jax in the past. Full circle, connecting the dots. Love it. Crossing the T's and dotting the I's. I think I got it that time, Adam. <laughs> Love it. Don't know how good this match could be. But here's the thing. Besides my earpiece, which is giving me problems here, Adam, ultimately, we got a good opportunity for how Bailey's actually getting presented here. 
there's yeah. some edge. There's a yeah. little bit of some heel flash. I know the elephant in the room is, is Sasha Banks coming back? In what form? Will it be some surprise reveal? Will it be the night of SummerSlam? Will it be before that? Will it be Sunday night? We don't really know. We know Bailey's coming off of that friendship storyline there. Is Bailey setting up for a heel turn in your eyes? Because it's no longer the hugger, and they're sort of playing into that. I don't see it so much as a heel turn as just an edge. Like these characters in WWE, these baby faces, they need to have an edge, especially when you have all of them, all four main titles going into the show are babyface champions. Bailey, Becky Lynch, Kofi Kingston, and Seth Rollins. So you see them giving Seth Rollins an edge. I think they're giving Bailey an edge. Let's not forget, I think it was Alexa Bliss that like bludgeoned Bailey with a, a Singapore cane or kendo stick, whatever it was, two years ago, and just completely ruined all of the momentum that she had, made her look completely weak. So if this is an opportunity for Bailey to get back up on Alexa Bliss, a, a women's character who is completely over with the WWE universe, they love her, then this is an opportunity for them to actually push Bailey as the single star that she should be. There was nothing wrong with the tag team with Sasha Banks, but she is a talented female wrestler. She can speak on the mic. She can work in the ring. And I don't necessarily like that Bliss is in this match because there are women on SmackDown that Bailey could be facing. But if they do put Bailey over Bliss, and that is what I expect to happen, then she's getting the rub that she really needs that maybe they don't want to give her from Charlotte or Becky. If Bailey goes over here and, and defends the title, I feel like we're getting closer to Sasha's return. I feel like that's connected. That's possible, but I would think that Sasha would be a Raw superstar because apparently the plans, according to the insiders, uh, prior to breaking them up was that one would be on SmackDown, one would be on Raw. That's why they broke up the tag team. But yeah, yeah they, but could, they could put her on SmackDown as a But in this modern heel. day where brands don't matter... Yeah. And look, I, I asked you the question, are we setting up for a Bailey heel, heel turn? I think you rightfully said no. So what are we setting up for? Hopefully a giant Sasha return at heel, which is her best presentation, go back to what made her great in NXT. Yep. This is would be the perfect setup for have to have her finally blow up the friendship with Bailey, have the female mega powers explode, and have heel Sasha win the title from Bailey. So if Bailey defeats Bliss on Sunday night, that's sort of telling me we're going in that direction. Maybe, maybe. Well, this is the classic WWE storyline where someone returns who's a friend of a person who's outnumbered and you think they're going to help them and even the sides, the sides being Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and then Bailey and maybe Sasha Banks, but then ends up turning on them or helps them. And then after they retain the title, turns on them and starts a feud. So it's, there's a very good chance that could happen. But for me, if you're going to have Sasha Banks return, it should be at a major show, not at stomping grounds in Tacoma. And I'm sorry, Tacoma and Seattle and Washington State. I, I don't mean to crap on you there. I'm just saying this is not a major pay-per-view. Sasha Banks has been out so long. Let's bring her back in a real way. Oh, I'd pop. I'd pop on Sunday night. And real quick, I want your answer. Nikki Cross, I think, has been doing better lately. Originally, they are almost giving her Eugene-level booking. <laughs> yes. In 2019, you really can't do that. Do you like who Nikki Cross is on the main roster, given that we know she's a badass in NXT. I do, because what did I always say about her in NXT? She was too crazy, just a little bit too much. And what they're doing is they have her reserved. She's getting facials with Alexa Bliss. Her hair is straight. Well, you know what's eventually going to happen? She's going to snap. And when she snaps, it's going to develop the character that we all want to see from Nikki Cross. Brian, it seems weird to say they're booking the women's division well, this match makes sense. The storyline makes sense. It's great. I got to be honest, as excited as I am for this, I'm really not excited for our next match, the Raw Women's Championship between Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans. 
We have now seen this feud for three months. Every time Lacey Evans gets in the ring, it's not really exciting. Why are they still doing this? Are they actually going to put Lacey Evans over? What is happening here? I'm torn. I'm torn, Adam, because you're right in a sense. It's like we just saw this. It's a little bit overkill. And by the way, every time Becky and Lacey are in the ring together, like that somewhat short segment on Monday night, it's sort of like, well, what, what are you presenting to us that's new? And in reality, nothing. It's sort of the same thing. With that said, though, Adam, one of those things where, like, even bad pizza is really good pizza, right? Like, like there's no such thing as bad pizza. I don't think there's any such thing as bad putting together the stars that are Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans. And I think Lacey Evans continues to hit a home run on the main level in her first feud consistently. Every time she's on the screen, it feels like it matters. She knows her character well. She can work a physical style. I'm still in the pro Lacey Evans Everything you do, you do it for me as a fan. I'm loving it. So the ultimate real question here is where are we going? Is this just to continue Becky with the championship, which would seem to make sense in terms of the things we might be building towards heading into SummerSlam? Or is it Lacey's time? If it's not Lacey's time, is it a negative to her character that she could go through this long of a feud with Becky and ultimately not come over the top? There's an interesting dilemma in here. But I think when all said and done, Becky Lynch, the man, is going to exit with the belt because it just seems to make a little bit more sense for business, even though I like Lacey a lot. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like they're building it for Lacey to take the title here, but I don't know anyone that wants that. And and it's not a heel or a face thing. It's just we've seen her in the ring now on multiple occasions, and she's really not getting it done. In fact, there have been a couple unsafe situations that we've seen where you really question Did they bring her up too soon or is it just, you know, her lack of familiarity working with these women because she never has before? She didn't come up in NXT with them. They're different generations, really. For me, it's, it's, look, you have something with Becky. The fans are still really responding to her. You already had her drop one of the titles. She dropped it to Charlotte. That was okay. If you're going to have her drop another one, it really should be to an Alexa Bliss, to a Sasha Banks, someone that's established. I don't want them to use Becky to put over Lacey because you know what's going to happen then Becky's just kind of in this purgatory. And what ex- what kind of feud exactly is she going to have if it's not with the title right now? You need to work up to that. So I think you build a feud with Sasha Banks. Maybe, you know, Becky wins this Monday on Raw. You have Sasha Banks come out and you bring that feud into its fruition at SummerSlam. You have Sasha Banks take the title and you give some, you breathe some new life into the women's division. I just don't think Lacey Evans is the life that I won't breathe into the division. It's as simple as that. So that's fair. And I think you nailed that out good. But I think I can almost devil advocate come back at you. It's clear, obviously, I'm a a bigger fan of Lacey's, you know, sort of ceiling and long-term potential than you. But I almost feel like everything you just said about Becky Lynch, you can say about Lacey. She's not going to win the title here. Where is she going? I don't look at her as a mid-card wrestler, even though she's a little bit more raw in the ring than she is on the mic. I think they've worked so hard to present her as a legitimate star that, Adam, where would you go from here if she's not going to win the belt? I think good heels can be good heels with titles or not. And you can say the same about faces too, I guess. Becky would still be a huge star without the title. But you can a heel can do something wrong to anyone. So you pick Natalia, you pick Naomi, Anyone, she can insult them. Uh, she can interfere in their matches. She can knock them out with the women's right. There are storylines for Lacey Evans to get involved in. I don't know where they're going with this. And maybe what we're talking ourselves into here is Lacey Evans actually beating Becky and them continuing this feud. But I don't really want to see this for another two months. I just don't. 
I hear you. A little tired, but guess what? Still tastes really good. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, we do have three matches left on this card. And before we get to the two title matches, let's talk Roman Reigns against Drew McIntyre. Brian, I've gave, given my opinion on these two in this match plenty. You know I said leading up to WrestleMania, it was the perfect opportunity for them to have Roman Reigns lose at WrestleMania, coming off his real-life leukemia, having Drew McIntyre win, and and writing this storyline of Reigns losing matches and trying to find himself and get back into his groove, making him a real babyface. They didn't do that. They had Reigns win, but they did just have him lose to Shane McMahon. Do you think there's a chance that WWE listens to the Silver King here, has Drew McIntyre win this match, and gives us the storyline that you and I really wanted coming out of WrestleMania, or you just think this is another situation where they have built up Drew McIntyre to be a legitimate monster the last couple of weeks, and Roman Reigns just rolls over him again? Yeah, to quote uh, Vince McMahon, no chance, Silver King, that's what you got here. How could you do anything in terms of trust, in terms of anticipation for this storyline, knowing how they've booked Roman Reigns, that they gave him at WrestleMania sort of an unnecessary feel-good, comeback, inspirational push when that had sort of already been the storyline. It was Kofi's night, not Roman's night, yet they sort of gratuitously still pushed it like that. You're not going to put over Drew McIntyre then after you worked so hard to build him up. Are you going to do it now, now that you've worked so hard again to build him up? History is telling you Roman's going over on Sunday, and it really disappoints me, unless they're planning on surprising me here, because Drew McIntyre's so good and so ready. Why would you go back to the well with Drew versus Roman here unless you're going to do exactly what we said and push put Drew over? I'm really confused. I'm really uneasy about where this is going. There's nothing really at stake outside of a grudge, but the grudge isn't really that deep to me. I like what they've done, of course, with Shane McMahon in this role, giving him his own lounge, having the, this elite party, giving me the feels that a Four Horsemen 2.0 might be coming here with the Revival and Elias and McIntyre. And I understand that's five people, but you get my point. If Roman ends with a victory on Sunday, Adam, it's like, once again, you've kind of puffed up our balloon just to pop it. We're what, like, what are you doing? Yeah, it, it almost, look, we, we're going to have our official predictions on cbssports.com slash WWE. We do them for every pay-per-view. And I'm going to predict Roman Reigns to win because if we're actually going to count them, which we really don't, we don't keep track. But if we did, you want to be right. And being right, you would predict Roman Reigns to win. But if I'm anyone with a brain booking this match, I'm picking Drew McIntyre to win this match. That's how I'm booking it because Roman can eat a loss to anyone. It doesn't hurt him. His brand is so strong. His character is so strong. And... Even though the brand split is kind of fading away, they are on different brands. So it's not like they have to fight again and Roman would have to get his win back. Or maybe if they do that, it's at Extreme Rules in a stipulation match and there's an excuse for it. But you got to start putting people, other people other than Roman Reigns over. And if you're going to do that, you have to allow Roman Reigns to lose to people other than Brock Lesnar. There is no reason that Roman Reigns should win this match. Drew McIntyre has the advantage on him in size and strength. He has the backing of Shane McMahon and the rest of this alliance, whatever you want to call it. And Roman just went over as the face on Raw. He got the beatdown of these guys, right? So if that is how you're going to end Raw, that tells me the opposite should happen on the pay-per-view and the opposite of what would happen on what did happen on Raw and what normally happens on WWE pay-per-views is putting the heel over clean, and that means Drew McIntyre winning this match, not Roman Reigns. My real wish is that uh, it's not long. We don't need a long match here. Don't slow down the show. And you hate to 
ask for this or even predict it on a pay-per-view, but I almost kind of need a smudge finish, right? If, unless you're going to go down the road of Drew McIntyre really is the psycho Scott, psycho uh, Scottish psychopath, if you will, and you're pushing him toward a title, then just smudge me and let's get to the next step. Yeah, I don't mind Shane getting involved. Just I would like Drew to come out looking like the beast he is one way or another. All right, we have the two men's title matches here. BC, WWE Championship match between Kofi Kingston, the champion, and Dolph Ziggler inside a steel cage, which would probably mean a little more to me if they didn't just have a steel cage match, not these two, but Shane McMahon and The Miz on the last pay-per-view. So two pay-per-views in a row with a steel cage match. Regardless of that, we saw what happened at Super Showdown, which was Kofi winning with the help of New Day a little bit, Xavier Woods more specifically. Are you excited about this match? Does it have the opportunity to steal the show like I think it does? Maybe. I mean, certainly the, from a working sense, they do. I just, you, you don't always have a lot of confidence that WWE would allow two good workers to go out there and work, right? Like we saw that Rollins and Ziggler feud. We expected magic. We didn't get it. I know AJ Styles and Seth Rollins are just coming off giving us what we want. I don't expect to get what we want here. Here's what's happening overall. They're telling the story correctly. I think the problem is it's not a great story right now, but there are things that I like. They're checking off the boxes. The story's making sense. They're connecting things. Drew, I'm sorry, Dolph really put over to open SmackDown on Tuesday that Kofi, you're nothing without your teammates. Then he went out there. We saw Kevin and Sammy run out, allow everyone to get thrown out from ringside. And what did Dolph Ziggler do? He took out and destroyed Xavier Woods with a mean scowl on his face as a way to perfectly... Send you it on your go home and get you prepared because that's exactly what he plans to do to Kofi. So storytelling-wise, they're doing the right thing. I don't know if this will be a classic. I expect Kofi to defend ultimately, but I sort of like how they're preparing this story to get us interested. My entire expectation is for Kofi Kingston to defend the title. I mean, we thought he was going to lose it a month after WrestleMania. He still has it today. That's great. But look, again, if I'm booking this, I'm booking Dolph Ziggler to win the WWE Championship because the story is better told with Kofi in chase. And if you want to legitimize Kofi Kingston as WWE Champion, having him win it once for four months, that's okay. Having him win it twice for two four-month reigns says, yes, we are serious, not just about Kofi Kingston, but about this representation, this diversity in WWE that we've talked so much about. The concern coming out of WrestleMania was Kofi dropping the title never really getting a rematch and that's it. And it was a good story for April. I think it's working that Kofi Kingston has made himself into a legitimate main eventer in WWE. And it's been proven by the crowd reaction, the t-shirt sales, and the fact that WWE has already kept the title on him this long. But if you're going to have a face in your main event, oftentimes they work better in chase. Like I just said, and I, I would be really interested to see Dolph Ziggler win the title in this match. Yeah, so would all of us, because Dolph Ziggler is a guy that we love and that for years we've been saying, what are you doing with him? Nothing, but you're you're trying to live in a dream world of, of optimism if you believe they're putting the strap around him here. The Kofi thing has worked really well. And I think for if you're WWE, you look at that and go, why are we, we going to change it? It's working. People love it. People love this guy. And I'll give Kofi credit. I'm not the biggest fan of the idea as Kofi as your WWE champion. That's been established. He's starting to win me over. He's getting better on the microphone. He's doing some things. My biggest problem, as I just mentioned, is they're telling a story that I like, but I don't think it's going to end how they're sort of setting it up to, which is, Kofi, you're not the same without your teammates there. They can't be there when we're in the cage, so Dolph will finally one-up him. 
I don't know how you can have any, any confidence that the title would go to Dolph, though, given their booking history and that they would be setting up Kofi for a second big win and crowd explosion. I just don't think they think that way. Well, I think if you if you look at the people that are on SmackDown right now, there's not a large number of people in the main event that are actually getting pushed. Like you have Reigns that's in this feud with Shane McMahon and, and all of them. And unless you're going to push him against a heel, Ziggler or Kevin Owens, who else is there? Daniel Bryan is now in a tag team situation. So they need heels. And right now I mentioned earlier in this show, all of the four main champions are faces. Five out of six if you include... Uh, Finn Balor, who's not even on this show. The only one that's a heel and a singles champion in main roster WWE is Samoa Joe. So that tells me you need some heels to take titles. So unless you think Brock Lesnar or Baron Corbin is going to win the title in what I expect the main event of the show to be, which we'll talk about momentarily, you have to make some changes here. And I think one of those changes that they could actually make, legitimately make, that would make fans excited would be Dolph Ziggler taking this title. Yeah, I, I wish. You're speaking my language. I just think it's too good to be true. Look, we'll I'm trying. If we agree on everything, the show's no fun. So I, I'm going to go with Ziggler on that one, BC. But our last match, the Universal Championship, we have the champion, Seth Rollins, who beat the Beast, Brock Lesnar, at WrestleMania for the title, going up against Baron Corbin. There is going to be a special guest referee in this match. And as you and I intimated earlier in this show, we're kind of expecting it to be Brock Lesnar. So do you see any other special guest guest referee besides Lesnar BC? And what do you ultimately think is going to happen in this match? Uh, you know, of course, they're they're setting it up to be Lesnar here. And, and if they do, by the way, I think that's great. I think the idea of the referee being able to cash in at any point, what do we do with that? It's very interesting. I love that idea. You said, could it be anybody else? The only other person I think it could be is Paul Heyman. Which would be interesting. You'd be ultimately telling the same story, but you'd be allowing Brock to either sit ringside or be watching from a distance and run in and cash in at any point. And then, by the way, you've got his advocate enrolled as the referee. So that could get very interesting. Here's how I see this playing out. Smart move here by WWE, by the way. Okay, I know you've talked up Baron Corbin being better than we think. Having a bad rap, he's doing. Like, uh, uh, softly, I'll agree with you. I think it's Baron, Car Baron Corbin overkill, but softly, yes, he's he's doing well. He's he's fine. But I'm never going to get excited about a Seth Rollins Baron Corbin title feud. So the idea of making Lesnar a giant part of this to me, it's serving my fandom. I care. I want to know is he going to cash in when. So I'm set on that. What I don't love, and I know a lot of people do love it. People hit me up on the timeline at B Campbell CBS. They love that Seth is so angry. He wants revenge against Baron and Brock. So he's just going to take a steel chair to anyone and everyone who even hints that they may be in that guest referee slot. Shouldn't WWE management be stepping in here? Every time we go to enlist a referee, you beat the guy down? I, like, I'm not going to get into the whole, well, isn't Seth a face? Why is he acting as a heel? Because I get you could say, well, look, they've done him wrong. Yes. I think it's a little bit of a reach, though. It's a little bit gratuitous. It's a little bit of corny, and it's a little bit of pandering to the crowd to just have Seth keep showing up and hitting everybody with the chair. That aside, you ask me who's going to win. Here's how I'd like this to go. I'd like Baron Corbin, with the help of whoever the referee is, to defeat Seth Rollins and win the championship, and then Brock to cash in afterwards and destroy him. I think that's how you send the crowd home I don't want to use the word happy because <laughs> they would not be happy, Brian. There are a lot of people that are <laughs> overkilled by Brock Lesnar, but I think that's a dramatic enough reveal. Even if you've telegraphed it, 
that you exit Sunday with big business. You get us next week on the State of Combat podcast to react to that. You get us entering Monday night to see what happens next. Maybe that goes back to Vince McMahon. He always puts Brock Lesnar over. Yes, it does. But I kind of like what that statement says, and I like it better than Brock spending all summer bungling that briefcase. I, I don't know. Sometimes a swerve for a, the sake of a swerve doesn't really pay the bills. It doesn't, it doesn't get us going. And I think putting the title on Brock Lesnar, after such a short time without the title, let's not forget, Roman won the title, right? Then, unfortunately, real life got diagnosed with leukemia, a recurrence of it. Had to give up the title. They had an opportunity to put over Braun Strowman. And what did they do? They gave the title back to Brock Lesnar. And it's, it's been the better part of two years that this guy has held the universal title hostage. And I don't like using that turn of phrase necessarily, except in this case it's true because every time Brock Lesnar has the title, it affects the rest of the roster down the card. It means there's another wrestler who's not getting a main event push, which means there's another wrestler who's not getting a mid-card push. It makes that mid-card title mean more, I guess, because it's on TV more. But now it's not the Intercontinental title on Raw. It's the U.S. title, and we all know the U.S. title is number four out of all those singles men's titles on Raw and SmackDown. So, look, I didn't like Lesnar winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. We've already explained those reasons. But my biggest concern was he wouldn't be in chase, that he would cash it in at at Blood Money in the Sand 3, win the title, and that would be it. Or that we just wouldn't see him for a few months, and then he'd come back, back with the briefcase. That was my chief criticism. Well, you know what? They're playing the briefcase angle nearly every week, either with Paul Heyman or with both of them. So contrary to my belief, he actually has been a good Money in the Bank winner thus far. And the whole point of the Money in the Bank briefcase is to have a storyline that takes you multiple months through the year that makes you wonder, hey, when is the title going to change hands? When is it going to get cashed in? I don't want to see that happen now. I want that to play out. And I definitely don't want, despite me thinking he's underrated and getting too much hate from WWE fans, I do not want to see Baron Corbin with the Universal Championship. Even for one minute? Even for before Brock Cash is in on it? Yes, if it's, if it's in June, two months after WrestleMania, yes, too soon. All right, here's what I'm going to say here. I think there's two things WWE has done that has sort of painted themselves in the corner that make the overall storytelling questionable here. One, in hindsight, I do not love that Seth Rollins defeated Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania in the opening match fairly easily. I think yes. it kind of hurt the overall storytelling to have it happen that way, where in just a couple minute typical Brock Lesnar slugfest heavyweight bout, somehow Rollins comes out on top with three stomps to win it. And I certainly don't love the bungling, like I mentioned on the go-home show, I had a super showdown where Brock had the chance to cash in, and somehow you're going to tell me that he would have preferred to just haunt Seth and make his life difficult, whatever. Here's how you put that behind you. Here's how you please the people like you who look rightfully saying, I've had enough of Brock Lesnar as champion. I've had enough of this part-time guy taking the title and running away with it. Who's going to win this match on Sunday, Adam, is going to tease their hand, or at least should, regarding what their plans are for SummerSlam. It's your summer WrestleMania. It's your smart fan WrestleMania, okay? And what do you want to do in the main event of SummerSlam, your biggest event? And this time strategic because it's leading into the season of SmackDown moving to Friday night. So it's a big deal. How about this to please everybody? Okay, please you, please me. A triple threat feud for the Universal Championship, which you've showed your hand, WWE. That's the title you care about the most. 
with Brock Lesnar, who cashed in and is laughing and has the briefcase and the jukebox over his shoulder like Radio Raheem, against Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. You've done really well to present Seth Rollins as a main eventer. Roman, look, they're going to put him over Drew on Sunday. We know it. And by the way, if they do, there's no other place for Roman Reigns but the main event title feud. So unless we're doing face-on-face -face with him against Kofi Kingston and we're not, it's time. And it pleases all boxes because Vince gets Brock in the main event with the championship. I get the idea of Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins actually feuding against each other. And you tell a fun story to get there because technically Roman and Seth are still teammates, ex-Shield members, fellow baby faces, competitive rivalry, but we respect each other. And ultimately, what do you want? You want Seth and Roman main eventing WrestleMania next year. You want my earpiece to stay in my ear, and you want the two of them doing it without Brock Lesnar for the big title. You want the mega powers exploding in my pants, Adam. To do that, you use Brock Lesnar to do that. You go back and tell the story of WrestleMania 31. You have it play out at SummerSlam. Everybody cashes in checks. BC gets fired up. Would that please you, Adam? <laughs> Uh, it would please me. That's a storyline I would absolutely love, uh, BC. But I don't know. I just happen to think that the concentration of the briefcase on Seth Rollins and on the Universal Championship is the swerve. I think that's the swerve. I think if we don't see Ziggler beat Kofi Kingston, or even if we do, even if we see that on Sunday, I think Brock Lesnar ultimately cashes in on the WWE Championship, whether it's on that October 4th, debut of SmackDown on Fox or whether it's immediately after that or they start a storyline there. That's ultimately where I think all this is going. Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Fox, SmackDown, WWE title, whatever you want to call it, at WrestleMania next year or at SummerSlam or at the Royal Rumble. They're going to go back to that well. They need Reigns to beat Lesnar clean without Braun Strowman standing by ringside. That is how you finish all this off. Give Lesnar the extended break that he needs and that we as fans need from him. I just happen to think this concentration on Rollins is a swerve. Then let me ask you this. Can we get to what I said, which is a triple threat match to, to main event SummerSlam for that big belt with Reigns, Rollins, and Lesnar, three giant stars, without having Lesnar cash in on Sunday and still allow Lesnar to lose that match at SummerSlam and then come back on October 4th and cash in against Ziggler or Kingston? Yeah, it's possible. I don't know that WWE is going to give them another give him another title opportunity without it being the briefcase because you're not running that storyline of Stephanie and Vince and kind of giving him the preferential treatment. The fact that he got in that match was the preferential treatment. So I think that would almost be a step too far, I suppose. Um, and plus, I really don't need that triple threat match. I would just prefer one-on-one -on -one matches. And if you want Lesnar and Rollins, and if you want Lesnar to be a champion again, have him be the champion going into SummerSlam, have Rollins contend and win the title back from him. I just, I'm getting sick of the repetitiveness. I need something new. And ultimately that's my hope for a stomping grounds, Brian, is that something comes out of this pay-per-view that says to me, okay, Silver King, you've been disappointed with our product for the last two months. Well, we have two months going into SummerSlam. We're about to juice up again. Yeah, I'd like to juice up right now. I, th I think you have to be aware an understanding of where pro wrestling is right now in 2019, the competition around you, whether you deem them as real competition or not, but people are critically not happy with your product. Let's spice things up. Let's do things a little bit differently. Let's give reason for people to still believe that WWE is the best in the world at what they do and that things going on in NXT aren't light years above what we're seeing on Monday and Tuesday nights. 
Let's hope it happens Sunday night in the state of Washington. All right, that'll set the stage, Adam. Stomping grounds this Sunday. Hopefully you checked out our mugs on YouTube. Hopefully people are ready to see the Silver King more often. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, hopefully I didn't scare any uh, women or children out there. Uh, BC, do you have any feel spots this week you want to take us out on? Um, I watched NXT upon your suggestion. It was good. And? It was good. I wasn't overly moved. You know, I popped for the idea of Kushida in a submission match against Gulak. I wasn't overly moved, but that was a damn good. That was a damn good match. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the product. It's fun. Yeah, I think the last two NXTs really have been holdovers. Um, they had the one in Bridgeport with just matches from the Takeover, and then this one I forgot where it was located, but it was like the next place that they would have normally had a house show. Well, it felt like had a house a, show. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was. It was a gap in the tapings. So basically, they just taped according to people that were there, eight weeks of NXT television over two days in Orlando. Had I known they were doing that, Silver King would have driven his ass up from South Florida to Orlando and taken two days off and gone to see them. I didn't know they were doing eight shows in two days. Uh, But apparently the stage is set for NXT TakeOver Toronto for SummerSlam weekend. I don't know any of the matches. I can assume one of them. But I think starting tonight, we tape the show on Wednesdays, we are going to see some damn good NXT uh, TV over the next eight weeks. I'll get fired up for that. I would like to find more time in my life for 205 Live. And also, coming off our discussion last week about Impact Wrestling, though people have reached out to me and mentioned that on Pluto TV, you can watch Impact. Uh, apparently you can, but what we were told was like there's no DVR. There's not. So I just you discovered... can't replay it, so what good is that for me if it's not on demand? Like... I just discovered Pluto TV on my uh, smart TV. And it's yeah. uh, one of those free channels. And there's an Impact channel. And I've actually been effing around watching some old school Impact pay-per-views from, from 10 years ago on there. You know, one, two matches at a time. It's, it ain't bad. It ain't bad. Yeah, I probably won't do that. Uh, if there's a way to watch their show, not live, weekly, I will check it out. I'll give it four weeks just like I did. I gave Ring of Honor four weeks a, a couple months ago. I couldn't do that. You're not getting I'll give this four back. weeks. But I can't – A, I don't know when it is live. And B, I – can't find it to watch after it's live so yeah. if someone wants to help me out i will give it four weeks i'll give it a shot all right one final uh dm slide here from the same man you heard earlier our good buddy black saber jr wants to know with the success of the hbo andre the giant doc and anytime you're going to mention andre's name on this show you're going to get that grouse soundbite black saber you pay you go to come in my, on my back all the time uh no that's disgusting. But Black Saber is saying, with the success of the Andre Doc, the Dark Side of the Ring series on Vice and others in the works, what are some of your personal most wanted wrestling docs that can be as unrealistic as you like? Example, I'd watch anything surrounding the plane ride from hell or a hard knock style show on the G1, says Black Saber Jr. So that's a great question. And by the way, after I canceled cable, I no longer get that Vice channel, Vice Land, whatever you call it. So I didn't mm. end up watching the last few episodes of that great show. But his question is interesting. If you could have it in a perfect world, I don't see how your answer would not be in a, a true deep dive on Vince McMahon, on his history, yep. on his psyche. It would have yep. to include his voice, but it would also need to include his rivals over the years and the and his detractors and all of that. I'd be fired the hell up for that. That's that is the singular documentary type movie video show whatever 
that I want to see. And it needs two to three hours. Like you're not doing that in an hour. That would not be doing it justice. 30 minute show. Now they are, um, this is, I believe with somewhat with Vince's sign off. I believe they're making a movie called pandemonium about Vince McMahon's life and career. And I think I saw at one point, I don't know if he agreed to it, but Bradley Cooper was in talks to star as Vince, which is great booking, great casting. If they actually go that route, but I believe that's ramping up now that of course will be somewhat cushioned uh, in, you know, especially if he is playing any type of role in the script or oh, in the yeah, story, it's going to be in the storytelling. Fake. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. I don't know who, I don't know exactly who's doing that. Um, but I'm interested to see what that looks like. And that is a movie that I would see the night it opens. Our good buddy, Dusty Allen at it's Dusty Allen somewhat on this topic said he took our recommendation to get a Roku and what he found on there, Adam, is that there's a channel called Wrestling, and he's watching a lot of like old times fifties matches. He saw basically a uh, the build to Starcade '86 when uh, the Four Horsemen jumped Dusty Rhodes and like broke his leg against the car window, which is one of like my seminal like like foundational moments as a wrestling fan. So off of what Dusty Allen's saying, and I didn't even know about this Wrestling channel on Roku. I don't even know what he's talking about. But what he's saying here, uh, I'd love to see a real. And I don't want it from WWE, though. A real documentary on the creation and impact of the Four Horsemen. That would be great, too. You know, even if it was a Viceland type thing and you just got Tully, Arn, and and Rick and all that. But just grabbing the footage, which I know WWE owns, and sort of just reliving the great moments of the faction. Even going into the 90s in the Mongo McMichael era. I would just love the whole thing. Well, let's not act like the stuff on WWE Network isn't good. Now, some of it is softened for certain reasons. But when they go back and they tell these some of these documentary-type stories of the old-school things that have happened, they have a bunch of WrestleMania Rewind stuff. I, I wanted to – there was one episode of this show you and I were talking Mega Powers, and I never really saw it live because I wasn't alive when that happened. Or I was, but I was super young. I forgot the exact year of that. Um, but I wanted to refresh myself, and I watched like an, a 90-minute thing on the Mega Powers Explode on WWE Network, and it was great. So now that they have all this footage, they really should be the ones to go back and do those things. Because even though it's WCW, they get the right people to talk about it. They have access well, it's, to it. It's those. even pre-WCW. It's Jim Crockett Promotions, which they, oh, have, Jim Crockett, all that, in this case. they have all that, those rights. But, man, that era was oh, – man, it's everything that I think AEW could become. And I hope it becomes – go back and touch that old thing again, that old feeling. Are we, speaking of all this, are we bringing back pay-per-view rewind? Yeah, there's rumors. There's rumors abound that people want it, that we want to give it to them. So uh, what's going on next week? Maybe next week we reveal the match that people need to watch. All right. Okay. Yeah, we can we can go down that path. We'll have to look at the schedules. G1's the following week and you're going to be obviously in Vegas. Maybe we'll have to wait a little bit on that. But yes, coming soon to State of Combat, the return of Pay-Per-View Rewind. That's it. That'll do it for the show. Interviews over. All that. Thank you. Please check out our other offerings on the State of Combat. We got UFC Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans on the MMA show each week. Check out what's going on in the world of box. I promise you will be entertained. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah, that's it. Guess what? We out. <laughs>